All right, you count off. No, I'll count off, and then you'll think that we're in sync. Okay. Okay, exactly. Five, four, three, two, one. Sink. Sink. Oh, you want to sink? Or are you just waiting on me? Well, no, I was. We, we, yeah, see, I was the point on. of the latency is not that weird. <laughs> I know, but now I can go now. by the counting or I can go by the sink, and I, it's my choice. I have them both. Okay, you have them both. <laughs> okay. It's a sled. He's dead. The box contains his wife's head. Vader's his father. They're allergic to water. She's his sister and her daughter. You watched it wrong. Welcome back, everybody. This is Wade. And this is Siggy, and you're listening to You Watched It Wrong, the episode where we watch a movie and we keep going back to it again and again to discuss it and think about it and maybe rewatch it. And hopefully you also are coming back again and again and again. Though why would you? Really, seriously, you got what you got so many other things to do. You know, now with the Apparently se- not. Apparently not. That's yeah. okay. We're here for you. We're here to fill in the gap. Now, since last you joined us for our last episode, Booksmart, which we are now rolling into a continuation of the BFF Quest series, um, uh, due to um, probably probably my fault, uh, it's now a month and a half later. <laughs> so lots have happened. Lots has happened. That's pretty, that's pretty par for the course. We yes. tend to go about that long between recording and publishing. So That's probably true. Nothing exceptional there. <laughs> but a lot has happened since our last. In fact, we actually re- we've recorded another episode between this. And posted it. And posted it. it. So, Two, yeah, actually. But, right? Yeah. yeah. So we'll record one, post one, and just post it. And it doesn't matter. That's, uh, that's all behind the curtain. They don't need to know any of that. Yeah. yeah. But let's, in front of the curtain today... Let's discuss uh, uh, a movie that I was really taken by, and I uh, recommended it to Siggy here, um, who seems to have lots to say. And let's get to hearing that saying. This movie is called Never Going Back. Never this- Going Back. Augustine Frizzell's uh, 2018 feature premiere or debut or directorial you say debut, that. also written and directed by Augustine Frizzell. An actress of uh, who's been around a lot. She's done a lot of uh, a lot of David Lowry films, if you've seen them. Um, and uh, she kind of came on this. Uh, well, came on the scene with this. Um, I, I didn't hear it spoke of much, and when I saw it, I was like, "Why aren't people speaking of this?" <laughs> um, I was really kind of taken by it, and it's it's quite like uh, the other things we talk about, the BFF Quest uh, style type of movie. Only this one, um, this one has some uh, uh, has some interesting takes on its tropes. So, Siggy, will you please? Um, well, I know gonna, what I think of it. A, Tell me what you think a, of it. Yeah, that's a tease. <laughs> I I think I'm. I'd like to come back to the whole BFF quest, the uh, concept uh, at the end after we discuss the movie on its own terms. Should I? But should that's should right we with you. restart and? Erase my tease concept, or no? Okay, that's, a, right. that's a tease. Okay. We've teased it. Right. It is teased. It is at the end of its leash, snapping at us, <laughs> trying to get the juicy saliva-inducing steak we're dangling in front of it. 
Well, so hopefully you've all taken, uh, uh, seen the, the liner notes, liner notes, uh, <laughs> description of the previous podcast and recommending that you see this movie before this episode. I, I, I strongly recommend it. Yeah, this would check it out. It's you can rent it for ninety nine cents right now in the iTunes movie store. And if you and if you aren't um, uh, if you haven't given way to your moral obligation to not give any more money to Jeff Bezos, then then you can rent it. It's on Amazon Prime. So wait, start mm-hmm. us off. So you you this was your discovery. You recommended it to me. I'm very very glad you did. Uh, take us through it. What did you what 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 did this movie do for you? I don't know. That's why I asked you first. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, I can go first. No. Uh, was there, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, please. Let me. I'm okay. Kind of in a more, I'm in more of a reacting mood right now than a leading mood. Uh, all right. All right. That's cool. Um, it's you know it it this movie felt to me like a real throwback to like those early '90s, late '80s. Um, like indie comedies that you would just find in a video store and then watch with your friends on a hot summer night when like three or four of you are roomed together in a house with no AC <laughs> and it's like two in the morning when you pop it in and maybe you're watching it for the third or fourth or fifth time. It just felt like a, a movie that kind of missed its moment. Like if this had come out during like that kind of golden age of indie comedies, I think it really would have found a, a cult audience and, and could have sustained it. it. It's it very much throws back to those kind of slacker comedies, uh, you know. Kevin got a little Kevin Smith. It's got a little Hal Hartley. It's got it. It really <laughs> reminded me of that kind of uh, discovery you'd make or you know late night cable and say, oh yeah, like where did this movie come from? Yeah, yeah. No, it's uh, it's funny when I now that you say that I, I see those in, those comparisons. I I hadn't actually. Um, it didn't when I saw it. It didn't really uh, evoke any real comparisons to any other filmmakers. I didn't think, oh, that feels like this. But yeah, now that you say, I completely see that. It feels. No, it wasn't derivative at all. It just was no. in that vibe, you know. Right, right, right. Dazed and confused kind of, you know, that that just felt mm-hmm. like it belonged to that that era for me, that very Gen X. You know, it's about high school dropouts, you know, 17-year-old girls in 2000, late 2010s Texas, but it felt like it could have been a, right. a, a, very much a, a, in the in the thick of Gen X youth culture. Yeah, because it's not a movie that promotes, it doesn't, it's not promoting a value or it's not making a value judgment on pretty much anything. Like it's, it's not, uh, uh, it's not saying it's, it's, yes, it's got the, the Armenian characters have a goal, but the movie doesn't make a judgment about whether if that goal is lofty or valid or if they should be doing something else with their lives or if this life here is really the kind of life that matters, it doesn't do that because that's not its, it's, that's not its um, priority. And, um, yeah. and yet it, that's not a fault in any way. But it, there, I would think if this was made in the early 80s, it would be trying to place a uh, value on what they want to do, you know? Uh, it's about sizing you up and, you know, seeing are, are, are they on a track that we can all get behind because we all morally agree that it's right. And, you know, in the 90s, they had that thing where it was like, oh, we're just we're just being now. 
And that and this is one of the most successful versions of that that I've seen, I think. I was really charmed by this movie. I, that's the number one. For all, for all of the puke and, and bathroom humor and, and, a, and all the bodily function humor that this movie wallows in, charming is the word that came out of it for me. <laughs> <laughs> too much to my surprise. <laughs> Well, wait, so uh, so should we just start walking through this movie? Sure, let's walk through. I mean, I got a, I got a lot of things to say. I actually have copy this time because this inspired so much essay material for me that I will try to find a way. I haven't decided if I'm going to try to naturally weave it in like a stand-up on a panel show or if I'm going <laughs> to try to just say, okay, here's what I wrote. And then yeah, rest. you want to write me like index cards so I can be like Conan O'Brien. Like, so I, so you like mountain climbing, you know? Yeah. Here's the thing about mountain climbing. First and foremost, well, well, well I'm sure we're going to say a lot about the director uh, and her script. And, but I think, I think first and foremost, this movie does really make it a winner because of its two leads. Oh, they're great. Yeah, fantastic. Fantastic. The whole cast, I really like the entire cast yeah, of this I movie. Did too. I did There wasn't a weak link in the entire cast. Um, Camilla Maroney, in particular, uh, as, oh, shoot, wait a second. Uh, it's Jesse and Angela. Yeah, yeah and Jesse, I, yeah. Camilla, does it matter which one is which? Uh, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, their does. names aren't really said much no. in the movie. Camilla, Camilla Morona. Uh, as Jesse in particular, although Maya Mitchell as Angela is, 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 they're both great, but I was really impressed with both of them. I was really impressed with both of them. They really carried this movie in a way that few effortlessly, you know, without, it was, it, it felt effortless. And that's always just, that's always such a joy to watch. So yeah, yeah let's, no, it, it all just kind of has a feel of authenticity about it. The entire movie does. So we, except for a couple suspension of disbelief moments which maybe we'll get to but on the whole it just it, like authenticity would be one of the 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 virtues uh mm -hmm. of this movie that's really kind of a silly comedy at moments so um we actually begin with this uh thing this is just little think of a, a little house in uh, a little texas town that high school dropouts could live in that's it and they are rooming with three other guys her brother, two other guys, two other guys. Although two two more guys are always over. Yeah, so exactly. It feels like more. So he, her uh, is uh, Maya's brother. Is it? It's Maya's brother, right? Not Camilla's brother. Or is it I Camilla's believe brother? it's Camilla. It's Jesse's uh, brother. Yeah, it's Jesse. So Jesse's brother, who is a real piece of work, <laughs> and um, and then Kyle Mooney as his brother, as his uh, friend Brandon. We wake up in their house. They're sleeping in the same bed. They're drawing dicks on their faces, and uh, one, yeah. one of um, uh, Angela has bought for Jesse a Groupon for a trip to Galveston. They've spent their rent money to do this, yeah. but they've made... The what the, sh the shittiest kind of surprise gift you can give someone is, <laughs> I spent your money... The surprise could have just been, yeah. I, I looked this up and found this cool thing we could do. What do you think Let's should get we it, do right. it? But it has to be she goes ahead and spends it and then wakes her up and says, I've spent our money, which means half of your money, on this thing, and we have to work our asses off 
to to pay it off. <laughs> right, exactly. You know? Like the kind of dumb shit a 17-year-old would pull. Right, exactly, exactly. Um, and yet, so you're already thrown into this, you're in a, you're in a, a relationship here that is chaotic, full of, full of uh, uh, love and understanding for each other, a 17-year-old chaos, and in, almost instant forgiveness, you know, of just like, yeah, you know what, let's do it. Let's, because the, the appeal of just going to Galveston for a weekend is so not anything these kids could ever conceive of being possible. The fact that it's possible is just irons over everything else. So they go, okay, well, we'll just, we, we already got on. I got us to work every shift <laughs> from here till then so we can pay for it. That's the setup of the movie. And then things go awry. Right. Um, things go awry when Dustin... The, the brother is uh, there with uh, Tony, who is their African American friend, and then who's and the Ryan, <laughs> the, Ryan. The, the, the trust fund kid who wants to be hang out with, and he's so ang- he's so pissed off that they keep bringing up the fact that he doesn't have to worry about money. But he got cut off. He, he has to work off. for his allowance now. <laughs> that's, that's right. <laughs> the three of them, the, the you know. Dustin is forming this squad, which is built on trust. <laughs> yeah, and he's just like such a, such a pure dope. Yeah, he's just so like so, like no pretension whatsoever. Even right. though he's like so much of what he says and does is affected, but he's also like completely sincere, one hundred percent of the time. <laughs> which is which is also what also what makes some of the things he says. That much more insulting. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, okay, he's got a little bit of grift to him. Like when he picks them up to uh, from jail. I'm getting ahead of myself. Yeah, yeah. He, so, he's got a little bit of grift to him. Yeah. We'll, we'll get to that. Because that, that, them going to jail, I think, is one of the, the stellar um, directorial moments of this movie. And I want to I wanna get into that later. There's a few. There's yeah. A, the uh, Frizzell's got a really good eye and like a really good yeah. sense of, of timing. Yeah. And obviously bringing out good performances in, in the cast. And she's very re- exciting she, director. She, yeah, exactly. And the way she's written her script has, has, has um, allowed for all those things. Like she knew that this is what was going to carry these things. And yeah, like Booksmart, it has a contrivance or two, a convenience. You know, we talked about how Jared comes in at the end and just for no reason just suddenly becomes self-aware and provides like parachutes parachutes into, into the, the plot hole. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to fill this plot hole. And yeah, and, and, and I would argue that the Big D's manager does that too. He's kind of a cliche, kind of a, you know, Big D's the, sub, the sandwich shop um, that is oh, at the end that, of the movie. The, the guy who turns out to be the manager of Big D's he kind of does that too. It's kind of a very convenient device, a little, a little forced and cliched. But you know what? Yeah, we'll I get don't. To that. We'll get I to don't that. really care. It's it's like you know, <laughs> at that point, I was having so much fun. I really didn't care. It was fine with me. Um, but uh, and so like, uh, uh, I was going to make a comparison to Booksmart, but th- th- there are a lot of interesting things to compare with Booksmart. That's why I think Booksmart and Never Going Back are two great 
uh, a great companion piece to watch um, for any cinephile out there. So I'm getting, I'm, I'm slowing us down. What's uh, uh, continue with the plot so we can get to some of the juicy stuff. <laughs> so Jesse and Angela have uh, have to work ten shifts this week to make up the rent money that they spent on this trip to Galveston, right? Right. So uh, when so they they see Dustin and his, forming his squad. <laughs> Built on trust, which is that they're going in on a pound. They're going to become drug de- drug dealers again because the, Dustin had tried and failed. <laughs> and yeah, and as as one of the one of the girls says at some point, he's just not smart enough to be a drug dealer. <laughs> like he's, it, I imagine he's always, it does take a bit of smarts. <laughs> yeah, maybe some street smarts in particular. <laughs> Because yeah, those he, kind of smarts. Because he loses, he loses the money that they all put in on a pound, um, and the, the the scene of him losing it is so pathetic. It's, yeah, it's so hilariously. Pathetic. It's not like an Omar Little stick no. up. It's, it's it's like you guys are know stupid. Just give me your door. money and leave. And they're like, okay. They don't even know whether they should knock on the door when they go to the place to buy the pound. Like, do we? What do drug dealers do? Do drug dealers knock on doors? <laughs> You're like standing on the porch, hoping it will open. Uh, so their troubles begin when Dustin's um, when Dustin's uh, uh, attempt to buy a pound fails, and one of their uh, Tony, one of their squad is pissed off because Dustin is not calling him back. Right. And so Tony... He, 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 was, he was not invited to the, oh, right. the pickup for some reason. We don't know why. He was just supposed to go when he is the drink mo- and <laughs> relax and enjoy collecting his money in the morning. Well, in the morning, there's no money to collect and no Dustin around. So we see Tony banging on the door, wanting to know whether he got ripped off or not. And just assuming he did because Dustin's not home... He breaks the door down. Uh, the girls come out and scream at him. <laughs> this is a very funny scene. Yeah, and he's trying to find something to take as 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 compensation, as retribution for his loss. So he it's decides like he brings his little brother with him, <laughs> or like little cousin or something. Exactly. And there's nothing in the house of value, so he takes <laughs> this tube television set, uh, set, this giant set, and they're all saying, "It doesn't work. You're doing us a favor." Yeah. Right. But you're going to fix our door. It's a TV with another TV on top of it, which is the surest sign that it doesn't work. Exactly. Um, also, a little point, the, 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 our two leads, Jesse and Angela. Also a sign, you might be a redneck. Right. Exactly. They, Throw that in there. They spend a good deal of this movie in their underwear, and I did not feel like it was exploitative. I thought that was kind of a feat. <laughs> Yeah, there's a little bit of ogling of them, but not very much. I mean, you know, it's yeah. obviously it's a woman directing it, and that's going to have a different uh, eye. There's going right. to be a different, you know, beholder. Um, I mean, there were times like when they were being... the gaze. When the police come because there was a report, the girls, that the, the woman across the street, their neighbor who they uh, gave the bird to earlier... Uh, calls the cops because of the ruckus next door. The cops show up and start interviewing them about a, the burglary, and everyone's kind of in their underwear. And it's like, yeah, it, it felt. And, and what was weird about it was that they didn't appear to be self-conscious to be in their underwear, but also 
Someone should have said, everyone should put on some clothes first. <laughs> but I don't know. Maybe that's just part of the cop's protocol. I don't know. Just like no one's going anywhere. But it was, it was strange to me. But, we also have in that scene with the, the two cops interviewing all four on the couch. We don't even know when Dustin and Brendan, Brendan, Brandon, Brandon, yeah. Uh, like Brandon must have been sleeping and slept through the whole ruckus thing because he's in his whitey tidies. Yeah. Sitting on a couch. He like he didn't just get home. Dustin looks like he just got home. Well, he hadn't been he was there. Out yeah. Somewhere. He hadn't been there. So. Brandon is for some reason awake now and on the couch in his Fruit of the Looms. And we get Which this looks weird... like he's wearing four pairs of Fruit of the Looms. <laughs> you know, <laughs> movie tidy whities you it, know. It kind of looks like a diaper, it like does. an adult diaper. It does. <laughs> Is everything is all bunched up, and, and then there's uh, the weird he's slouching on the couch. Are you gay? Inter- interrogation. Are you a homosexual, sir? Are you a homosexual? Because Justin says he was just. They're trying to. The cops are trying to figure out why Tony broke into the house, and they know something's up. It's funny how everybody knows who exactly broke into the house. Like they must. We skipped the part where they tell that to the cops that they know the guy and oh. here's his name. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> right. We don't know how that came out. Uh, but then he's like, and you don't know why he would break in your door. And uh, Dustin's like, no, no, I just like was getting with him again or something like that. And his yeah. use of the words get with him prompts yeah. the cop to say, sir, are you a homosexual? Which seems like a leap. This is uh, seems like a leap in the scene, like just to get to the funny part. I didn't find the whole interrogation all that humorous. It was one of the more belabored bits they did. But no, it's it's one of the worst bits. But Kyle Mooney's line at the end is what makes it is what saves it. But then, so the cops then have to push their. We got to look around because there's got to be a reason why he broke in. And of course, they go into our uh, Jesse and Angela's room and find their bong and their drug paraphernalia. So then, cut to. Jesse and Angela are handcuffed in their underwear. Oh, no, they're in shorts now. That's right. They got shorts. They're now being led to the squad car in cuffs. And they look back and there, Dustin and Brandon are standing on the porch looking unmolested and just looking kind of... And to me, this is... And I I, I want to choose my words clearly here because I don't want to make it sound like making a big feminist statement... Is or espousing one is a bad thing. That's not. I, I don't. But the thing is, is that they do. This movie does storytelling right, in the sense that it doesn't stop to make one, to make a statement about the ills of American men and the need for change in our society and gender imbalances because it doesn't have to. Because it's all those elements are in full display within the execution of the plot, and which is what good storytelling is. And um, they come across astoundingly well. So they're carried off, you know, they're, they're walking off, they're carried off in the handcuffs to, to, to be what turns out to be a financially devastating 48 hours in jail. And they turn around and they see Jesse and Brandon on the porch. All this was brought on by Dustin and his friend's mistakes. A poorly thought out drug deal that goes wrong. I'm, of course, now I'm reading. <laughs> you know? Um, so the people that fucked up in our are unpunished and the women have to bear the sins of the men. And then when they come home from jail, after listening to the men brag about how much they're doing for them while not actively attending to their immediate needs at all, 
the women suffer further. Uh, for while they were incarcerated for the crimes that they did, the men didn't pay the bills or, the or restock the supplies that the women need desperately now. So all that is just, I just, I mean, and it's not really like arrowed on. You know, they don't have to say, look how shitty they are. It's just like, look, no, look, this, this is just a brilliant construction that shows the point better than, than anything else really could have. And I just really appreciated the writing, just how she just wrote that out. And this is just how it is. No, like, nobody like espoused uh, on either side their, why they do things. It's just, this is just the stuff that does and doesn't happen. And I like, I, it was just uh, really impressive, I thought. Well, also, there's no character that we're presented who has the, the self-awareness or the <laughs> social consciousness to make that statement. Right, <laughs> right exactly. And you know what? The other thing is, this movie also doesn't have is a refreshing lack of an addition of like the one good one. You know that he's usually played by Mark Duplass in some movie. <laughs> like the one the, good, the one fella. good fella. You know to lighten the curse of the overall point being made. Um, I think probably the closest thing to that would be their boss at the restaurant, who just seems like a a good yeah. dude who just likes them. Um, he's good-hearted. He's good-hearted, and um, and and his firing of them is a, eventually getting ahead of himself is both him caring for them, encouraging them, and also a pain to him because he goes, "I like having you guys around, but you gotta go do." And this was what makes it feel like a '90s movie when he says, "You gotta go do something with your lives." Which he isn't saying you gotta get a stock portfolio and build. You know, he's not saying that. He's saying you gotta go live a life that just stop messing. A, you guys gotta go live a life. Have have a life. Don't don't get stuck don't like get I stuck. am. Stuck, right? You know. Although he made it to manager, so he's That's doing yeah. a he's doing all right. You know. <laughs> right now, it's hard to see either Angela or Jesse getting to be manager of anything. <laughs> Although, oh wait, who was, there was somebody, um, where is it? I don't think I wrote it down, but somebody, the, the woman who plays the hostess that has it out for them. Yeah, Crystal, right? Crystal, that's right. She, oh, she's, she's Athena Frizzell, so she's late, related to the director somehow. Oh, really? She does one of the songs on the soundtrack. Oh, yeah? I think she's her sister. That's another thing that if this had come out in the early 90s, that soundtrack would have been a hit. Like, it's an amazing soundtrack. I've been oh, listening yeah. to it a lot. Oh, yeah. With uh, original songs by Sarah Jaffe, and I've been listening to Sarah Jaffe's whole catalog. Who's, uh -huh. Apparently, she's this Austin area singer-songwriter. She starts off as like this acoustic kind of artsy singer-songwriter and then moves into like more electronic or produced sounding stuff uh, later on. She's got a great album title, uh, The Way Sound Leaves a Room. Oh, wow. That's, That's a awesome. good album title. And then she's got uh, an album called Bad Baby, where the closing track is called Shit Show, <laughs> which is a very beautiful <laughs> song. It's the most beautiful song on the album. <laughs> anyway, but, but all this, all, she's got a bunch of songs on this soundtrack, and none of them are on her albums. They're all original to this soundtrack, huh. as, far as, I can, as far as I can tell. But they're quite catchy. 
Anyway, check out the soundtrack, available on Spotify. Although, I should buy it for as many times as I've <laughs> been listening to it. Um, Support so artists. Speaking of, let's see, um, I, I'm sorry, I'm all over the place with this one. If there's a thing you want to get to next, please do, because I might, I might jump to the... Okay. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to jump back to all the stuff I skipped over. So. Okay, please do. So opening shot is Maya. Uh, I'm not gonna even going to try to remember which character is which. <laughs> Maya uh, staring intently as she's doing something that we will learn is that she drew a dick. Drew a dick on uh, Camilla's face, right? Which is maybe the least funny gag in the whole movie to me. Right. But, it's but kinda... the, the way that she whispers to her, like, wake up, I have something really important to show you. Very exciting. <laughs> Where she's actually talking about the trip to Galveston. Yeah. But she's, she's also talking about the fact that she drew a dick on, on her face. Camilla's first line is, did you draw a dick on my face? <laughs> yeah. So she knows is... instantly. And... We find out in a few minutes when they're in their brother's room or Brandon's room. I guess it's Brandon's yeah, room. Yeah, they're using his Brandon's computer, computer. Seeing that he still has porn like streaming on his machine, even though he's not around. And then... Uh, just trying to give him likes, I guess. <laughs> you know, we find out that these, these girls are now watching. We, we, we're seeing their faces as they watch it. Kind of like in Bad Boys, weirdly. Uh, mm-hmm. And they comment on how... Oh my God, that's a golden shower! Don't you ever pee on me, you know? And that's that's the first like confirmation that this is a romantic relationship. This is a romantic coupling, coupling we're seeing, couple that we're seeing. Which I, you know, I was, I was curious, like for you at the beginning, like did you get that vibe immediately? Was it ambiguous to you? See, this is I was trying to figure out when to bring this up. So, so uh, do you? It's okay. This is actually one of my favorite things about the movie. And, and not because I don't want it to be one way or the other. But the movie keeps bringing up... Not, not bringing up. Just by nature of you watching them forever, you kind of... Little things bring up to you like, well, are they lovers or are they best friends? Are they bi-curious or are they just teenagers trying to be shocking? You know, what... what because, are they pansexual or are they literally just the best of friends? That everyone... And they keep... They play up... The question that everybody asks. Um, Carrie, who was not watching but listening to it in bed, was like, oh, yeah, they're totally lovers. They're, they're, yes, they're lesbians. Well, yeah, I, I but, think that's but made it, unambiguous. May, may, well, maybe I'm, maybe I'm uh, completely wrong, and I don't need to be... Um, yeah, I don't need it to be that they're not lovers, but I think, it's, I, I think the movie keeps it kind of ambiguous because maybe they're just teenagers. Well, no, I don't think, I don't think it keeps it ambi- ambiguous. I think it doesn't matter. I think I think it's whether the question of not whether or not they are sexual partners is completely irrelevant to the fact that they love each other and are best friends above all, right? Well, they're that's that's right in the sense that they kind of operate in the movie like a comedy duo, right? Where there's just no, they're like Jay and Silent Bob or. Laurel and Hardy like there's no well not even like Laurel and Hardy like there's no separation between them like there's only there is but but I guess to the extent that Laurel and Hardy have it yeah but there's very few moments in this movie where they have different goals than each other 
True. They always they always want the same thing. They're rarely and, at odds. Yeah, that's right. Like there's just couple moments. Uh, Camilla wants to do drugs at the party. She can't. She can't give up the temptation to do drugs whenever they go by her, and and it's Maya who has to keep her on track. Like, no, we're getting to work sober. But it was Camilla who has that great line where she says, "If we don't leave right now, there's no chance of us getting out of here sober." That's right. Which is this kind of impressive level of self awareness that she's like, "I I won't. I don't. I have no. I won't have the control to do that." <laughs> so we got to be responsible now because I will not be responsible later. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I thought that was pretty and, great. And then there's a thing at the beginning with Maya buying the trip to, to Galveston mm-hmm. and Camilla's not so sure about it, but then she buys in completely. And other than that, Camilla doesn't want to go to the bathroom. Maya thinks she should. Right. Other than that, though, they're just like two peas in a pod. Yeah. Well, and Maya... They, don't, they do everything together. They even go to the bathroom together. We see that. Right. We see that they, they go to the bathroom at the same time. Which usually is something that you would say friends would do over lovers doing, I would think. Uh, Maya makes reference uh, to how... same-sex lovers in a public restaurant. Yeah, I guess. And, I don't know. You know. Uh, uh, what's her, uh, Maya makes reference to, which isn't, I, I understand, is not um, uh, conclusive uh, evidence. But Maya makes, refer- makes reference to how hot the homeless guy is that she would like to have sex with. <laughs> Um, which again, yeah. it could be her just trying to make fun. It could be her expressing kind of a f- whatever thing to do, or it could just be like, yeah, you know, we're we're just open and we're teenagers and doesn't whatever. Um, and, it's hard and, to tell if she's being genuine or yeah. make it joking at that. But at that moment, I find that a lot of things. I mean, the only time is when that one cutaway to when they were getting high and they're like, "You want to make out?" Oh yeah, there's there's that. But I mean, Kyle Mooney says something where he's like, "She's like, what are you, what are you, t- what are you talking about? I hear you doing that every night in your room." But right. but I don't know whether to trust that. Is that is that guys just assuming that two girls living in the same room are doing it, or is it the fact that they are lovers? And you know what? Honestly, again, I don't. It's it, if if it's either way, I'm very happy because I, the point of it is is not there's their the point of it is just their their love for each other, and that comes through. Uh, uh, so palpable. In fact, my my favorite line in the whole movie when, is uh, when they're high, when they when they go to that party and accidentally eat uh, a whole lot of is it brownies or cookies? I forget. Cookies. Yeah. Eat a whole Another t- suspension of disbelief moment because right. I sure know those those are pot cookies, <laughs> and I never I've never had one. I'm not a regular casual drug user uh, like these two girls are. Yeah. And so just that they wouldn't know just is a bit of a stretch. Right. But, so, but it was one of those, you know, genre conventions that they have to have the inadvertent high mm-hmm. and that's going to mess things up. So you allow it. Yeah. And so they're, they're, they're going to work <laughs> in, pit, in beer-soaked uniforms and um, high as a kite, eyes watering, and... They're standing outside and they see Crystal through the glass, and and Camilla goes, "Well, I I bet you she's just like a really unhappy person on the inside," which, if you think about it, is actually kind of sad. And then she goes, <laughs> and then and then Maya goes, "Thank God we're not sad on the inside." And she goes, "No, I'm wonderful on the inside." <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> and, and, and you see this thing was like going, all their problems are external. They are like Steve Rogers on the inside in the sense that they don't have any problems with themselves at all. And, and in a way, it, not in it, not in a unreflect, not in a, uh, um, uh, I guess not in a negative way, in a very positive way. And I, I loved that moment because it was silly and funny and hilarious, but also very poignant too, I thought. And, and that's their strength. That's why we like them. And that's why we you know, that's why we, we, we kind of were pulling for them. They have their trials and tribulations. And then they get, they, they get scared and angry, but never sad. It's kind of a revelation. You know, think about it. <laughs> and one of the most important things about this movie, you know, all the, and that's why, that's why to me, I was completely fine with their sexuality being up in the air or even what their relationship was defined as because all that matters is that they're soulmates. They're irrevocably joined in their hearts. Yeah, that's, that's right. You know. um, yeah, you never... Of all the conflicts in this movie or all the things you think that they might be headed for trouble in their lives, like them not figuring out how to get along doesn't feel like no. one of them. Right? right, exactly. Yeah, no, that's nice. I do... Um, you don't know very much about their backstory. You're, you know that they're not 18. You learn that in the course of the, the exposition and that um, one of them, if they ran out of money, would have to go back to their racist parents in Arkansas. Right. And I just assume, I took from that, I just kind of assume they're both from Arkansas. They drop out. Probably. Um, their parents kicked them out of the house because, because they were in a lesbian relationship. That's a fine and, assumption to make, yeah. And so one of their brothers is in this, who knows where in, in Texas, seemingly, somewhere in somewhere not far from Galveston, and so they just go and, and live with him, right? He was, the, right? he was the loser dropout who probably got kicked out of the house for doing drugs or something <laughs> like that, you know? Right. And, and so they just go live with him, and he was happy to have them. He, he, he seems very happy to have them living with him. Oh, yeah. He, you know, he's... He seems kind of, uh, I mean, he's a total fuck up, and <laughs> and and not anybody offer, to re- not uh, anybody to rely on. No, <laughs> no, he does offer to uh, treat them to lunch because they were in jail, but then only gets them French fries that he has freeloaded off of his roommate. <laughs> right, despite the fact that she's saying, "I need to go home now," he's like. Hey, I'm being nice. I'm buying sandwiches. You know, it's like my act is more important than your needs. You and know? they don't get sandwiches. And they don't they get, get sandwiches. French fries. Yeah. <laughs> that he can't pay for. That he can't pay for. Uh, that, the, the, for me, the single funniest moment in the entire movie is them getting out of jail. And we've seen them in jail. They're Holding. put in separate cells, but they hold hands. That's a beautiful shot. It's beautiful. That's the most. This is the most physical separation between them in the entire movie is when yeah. they're in adjoining cells, but holding hands outside the bars. It was a lovely moment. And then they walk out. So, so rewind. Tony has broken into the house and <laughs> stolen their television because he's mad at Dustin. And they walk out at the jail, and they're just walking down the stairs and like. What the shit? And then the the camera moves in this movie are so spot on. Like, just go and watch them again. Like, the timing of all of them is mm-hmm. just perfect. Perfect. 
pan over and you see Tony and Dustin not only standing side by side, not only looking like they get along and they're not fighting anymore, they're like their body positions are leaning in the same way <laughs> to the side. Right. Like they're, they're perfectly parallel. <laughs> and they just look like they've been calmly waiting out there for a long time and yeah. And just enjoying themselves. Yeah. And just enjoying each other's company. Yeah. <laughs> Just that shot of the two of them and just the looks on their faces like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, we know that happened. <laughs> it's perfect. T- Tony's like up front, but blase kind of, yeah, I know. I shouldn't have done that. Yeah, it's all right. Right. Don't be bringing that shit up again. <laughs> he, keeps, he keeps, every time it comes up, he keeps turning to us and I am very, truly sorry, sorry. about that. <laughs> And then Dustin just has like the most loving gaze, yeah, towards him. And he's like, trust. <laughs> <laughs> he's just so happy to have this friend. Oh, it's so good. That's the thing. So, what do you think? Okay, let's talk about Tony and Dustin and okay. Ryan for a minute. Okay, sure. Okay, sure. So, there's two. Um, I guess there's three people of color in this movie. There's Crystal, who's been mentioned. The mm-hmm. the the bitchy. Um, the bitchy and not wrong hostess. <laughs> That's too. right. It's amazing how much rancor we as an audience feel for her, and she's completely right. Yeah, but she, like might, she should get their shifts because she's she reliable and they're not. <laughs> exactly. But uh, but um, again, it makes you think of Beanie Fields thing. No, you know, it's like yeah, she cares about being responsible, but she doesn't only care. <laughs> <laughs> but these girls don't care at all. They don't. They yeah. Well, I they mean, they, they, they do. Know. They do. But it's not. It's they know other, they have to do it. They know they have to do it. Right. They just uh, don't quite have their shit together. You yeah. know. But you, you living could, on your own at seventeen is not the best idea. And, as and it that's turns what, out. That's what gets me about uh, her being Crystal being um, having the same last name. I believe it's her, the director's sister. But that's that is funny to me because. <laughs> It's her sibling that she cast in the role of someone who is righteous, pompous, and will not let it go, right? <laughs> like I am it, it, to be like like if you if you would just let the other person be a fuck up that that would just be the better route to go, right? But no, yeah. you, you have to destroy them for being fuck ups. <laughs> That's a sibling relationship right there. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah good, good one point. augustine good one <laughs> and then uh uh we have the manager of um is it called home cooking i think the diner's name is home I cooking i think it is who is the, which is funny because that's one thing guy they, they don't have <laughs> who who tells them they're bright funny and entertaining as hell they're the only they're the only bright spot in his day. Yet they vomited on his shoes countless times to get out of work by chugging gallons of milk. That's a mon- <laughs> that that montage is a lot of fun. It's it should be stupid. It shouldn't yeah, work. It shouldn't it, it, be as good as it is. And it totally works. It's, it's so much fun. It's so it's so well done. The whole all the all the scams they've done to come up with excuses for why they missed their shifts. And it turned out he knew all along it was all bullshit. Yeah, he just really he just really liked them and right. wanted to keep one and give them more chances. Uh, so we get him, and he's kind of like, he's a little bit of a stock character. I think you said it before. The kind of 
sour disposition, but sweet on the inside. It, <laughs> I guess in a way, <laughs> he does. I wonder, it didn't occur to me until just now, because I didn't really think of him as sour, but I guess he is kind of the... The, uh, 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 stare, the, 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 the police chief who's telling the cop to get out of his office yeah, in a way, yeah. but he's, he's, he's all, he already looks like he's, he's been defeated by his own empathy. <laughs> but when the, when the detective he yells at has walked out of his office, he does the reluctant, yeah. reluctant admiration <laughs> shrug, like, um, oh, that McGuffin or whatever. <laughs> McCluskey. McClunky. McClunky. And then we have Tony, who hangs out with Dustin and, and Ryan. And I have to admit, at first I was like, would Tony be hanging out with Dustin and Ryan? Would, <laughs> would Tony and Dustin really be best friends? Right, right. Like, how am I supposed to feel when, of the three of them, it's Tony, the, the black guy who is breaking in the door and having, like, the kind of, not quite violent, but... I mean, there's some implied violence when you break down a door. Oh, yeah. Even though he, yeah. Never, he never threatens the, the girls. But he's no, no. very angry. I mean, he's stealing from them, clearly. He's not giving anyone a chance to, to explain. He's kind of jumping to conclusions. And, um, so I would say, like, being very emotional in the situation, reacting emotionally in the situation, right? Like, this mm-hmm. is how the character's written. And, right. and then later he's, like the cool one who's giving advice to the other two about how to do the robbery, about how to dance, which may be my favorite, maybe my favorite scene of the entire movie. Which is certainly the, the least, dance es- off. the least essential scene in the movie, but it's no, right. Complete throwaway. <laughs> but it's so funny. <laughs> I've had six, I've had hip hop lessons since I was six, yo. <laughs> I know how to dance. <laughs> Well, and then, and then they're in this shitty location where it's like it feels like a six foot by six foot little Walden patio, like on, in the back of their yeah apartment or whatever it is, and it's like an impossible space to shoot in. Like a lot of times in movies like this, they you would feel they're in a bigger space than yeah, what they're shooting right. in, but it's it's shot in such a cramped way. Yeah, actually, a lot of the, a lot of the interiors in that apartment yeah. are. It feels like a small apartment with like very limited angles, yeah, and yeah. just like the the angle selection is really choice in those scenes. Like that might be my tough, one of my favorite directed scenes is them dancing on the patio because there's no space to work in, and yet the camera like just keeps finding like these good angles to to catch what's happening. Like when Ryan is doing the worm. And it's just like you're it's like you're almost standing on top of him looking down at him because there's no room to stand anyplace else <laughs> until you get the reverse shot of him kicking the table and spilling his expensive juice. But also, you know, it's not just a th- I guess it's not just a throwaway because it, it nicely sets up like the whole mentality of all these the squad because you've got you've got some person who so desperately wants to be um, that's the thing about Ryan is that he's an outsider to the group. He so desperately wants to be part of this group by showing, look, I've done hip-hop. I know all this stuff. I know what you're all going through. But yet he is so not that at all. And He hasn't um, seen Point Break, so he doesn't know what's <laughs> happening next. Which I have worked on something. <laughs> and so, I, I mean, I mean the, Tony's, yeah, to, I kept did wondering why is Tony even messing with these guys? 
Like, I can understand why you'd break down a door if you were dealing with Dustin and Ryan. But, like, um, why was he even... I mean, all three of them are outsiders to their own looks and their own styles and their own um, uh, uh, allegiances. And, like, um, uh, which made me... I was wondering, why are they watching Point Break? Like, why Point Break? And, and at first I thought maybe it was just another thing about when I was trying to figure out is the girl's sexuality ambiguous? You know, is, is it ambiguous or is it, or is it clear? Uh, is it clearly, are they clearly lovers or what? Maybe point break is one more thing is to add to the ambiguity. But I think it's really more their, <laughs> the ambiguity between their relationship. <laughs> like, what are they really getting from each other? How yeah. is point break uh, adding to the ambiguity? Oh, well, you know, point break, it's the, the camp of that movie, which I, I think, I think a, I never didn't see Point Break until recently. Until I've like never probably, seen it. You haven't seen it? I, I didn't see it until like four years ago. I had been told later, I kind of heard rumblings about this, about the uh, homoerotic subtext of Point Break between um, Patrick Swayze and, and Keanu Reeves. Uh, okay. And when I watched the movie, I'm like, it's not subtext. It's like, it's like, <laughs> it's slathered all over the movie. But, <laughs> but, Here's the thing. Here's my theory about Point Break. I don't know if this is real. I haven't read this anywhere. I don't know. Um, because I'm watching it going, how do you make a movie like this? Because it is hilariously giddy, but the movie is not trying to be that, right? But it, it so also clearly is amping that up at every chance it gets. The movie seems... So here's what I think. I, I was like going, how can you write a movie like that? in this way. I don't think you can and get all this kind of MST3K admiration on its side, affection on its side for it, um, if it's doing it knowingly. But I think they shot it. And then Catherine Bigelow was smart enough to look at the footage and go, they really look like they want to fuck each other. <laughs> <laughs> and then said, you know what? That's what we're going with in the edit. I think I uh, that's that's uh, just my theory based on seeing it and going like they shot it and they just went you know what I think we could let's just bake that into the edit like it wasn't shot with that intention but it sure was heck was edited as that way <laughs> and so that's why I thought when I was like why are they watching Point Break and I thought just how fun that to have that level added to this <laughs> to this movie the scene so what did you think like well I I. So I, I I confess, like it gave me pause at the beginning that Tony was there is like, is he here just to signify something or is this like a tokenization? And then it, it's kind of yeah. gave me pause that he's the one breaking down the door and stealing their stuff. Like he's acting the most thuggish of the three. You know, it, it, it did give me pause in the beginning. I did get uncomfortable. Um, but the more you get to know Dustin, I think that's why it's like, yeah, no, I'm. That's not a black thing. That's a dealing with Dustin thing. <laughs> but I, but I also bought by the end that like Dustin and Tony just really love each other. Yeah. Like they just have they just have like a pure friendship. Like they just right. really like that the other one is. Yeah. They just really like and appreciate each other. I don't know. Like I could see, I could, I ended up. Dustin is such a sweet guy. Is he, yeah, kinda. <laughs> <laughs> I 
if you want I mean, to, he really is. If, he really if is. you view him he's in a, that light, he is. He's a fuck up. <laughs> but I could see, like, you know, well, like there are how many how many people are just like completely unguarded, like Dustin. Yeah. That if you encountered someone like that, that you, uh, you, you would just love that about this person. You know, there, there it's, are. It's uh, hard to dislike him, despite how horrible he is. <laughs> <laughs> As a viewer, I if I were if I were one of the girls living in his house, I'd feel a bit differently. I think. Well, the the Dustin Tony Ryan dynamic, mm-hmm. especially on the second viewing, I was really enjoying it. Like when they when they go when he treats them after jail, when Dustin treats them to 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 grifted fries, like that whole conversation. <laughs> Yeah, I was just laughing through that entire scene. I, just yeah. the the interplay between those characters, the the way the dialogue's written, and the way that they they deliver it. I I I was cracking up that whole yeah, scene. It's a fantastic scene. It it's really good is. Stuff. Now speaking of the squad, there's another member. You know, it's funny. I don't want to start talking about the guys too much, but part of me is just like, well, the girls are so freaking fantastic. There's not a lot to say. <laughs> That's not true, I, obviously. No, yeah, but, no, but, you have more to say, for sure. But we have a lot more to say. But like, just the second viewing, something about Kyle Mooney caught me, and um, yeah, I think it would be an interesting contrast to talk about him against Jared and Booksmart. Like, um, so a word about Kyle Mooney, or rather, shall I say, and Kyle Mooney to be exact, because that's how he's credited. He's got the and credit, so he's ah. he's the heavy hitter they brought in. From SNL. It's an SNL to be who, in this movie. Who I'd never heard of or was aware of before. He's, he's this been on movie. for years. So the, here's the thing, and, and I mean no disrespect. Actually, actually I want to mean a compliment. Um, despite his likable screen of presence and everything he does, I've never really seen Kyle Mooney to be a particularly adept comic performer. I mean, he's on Saturday Night Live, he's on this, but like I've never really thought, like, he, he, he has a, he's more likable than funny. I think. And my, this movie did not change that opinion. <laughs> uh, uh, but I did take note of something that made me appreciate the character choices he makes as an actor. And this is what I really I, um, I want to compliment him on this because I, I okay. really appreciate it, especially the second viewing. Because after I watched the second time, I realized Brandon's kind of a really thankless role, um, especially for being relied on upon so much for comic relief without much of an arc or without much else things he's given. He's very functional. Um, but he's an outsider to the group which he belongs to within the house. But that group has also already got an official outsider, which is Ryan. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> so he, that role's filled. And so now you've got him kind of circling it, kind of wanting to be part of this, but also resigned to just, I'm on the outskirts. Um, we don't really see him trying to be part of it, though. No, he's, no, but you—he's you, got this kind of presence, like, like. Well, he, well, well. I, I think that what I'm about to get into gets into it even uh, as well. Like, like. Uh, I mean, you expect the role that you sort of you expect him to kind of um, to be differentiated from the others by having a soft heart that goes in favor that he's hiding in favor of inclusion because he's the guy they all come to to get free food so he's like oh yeah yeah sure whatever i'm one of the boys i'm one of the boys but he's not he's not even part of the squad so like um 
I started to, but the important thing is the role's not really written that way. And I, I started to groove on the things that Mooney was trying to sell with Brandon, despite it being a little in contrast to what the behavior choices the script gives him to do. And like barging into the girl's room in the morning and negotiating for a boob touch and stuff like that. What um, are you doing in here? Like his look on his face and like he doesn't know even know what direction to look in. Like, oh my god, I can't believe I breached the right. Yeah, yeah. The door. <laughs> oh, what are you doing in here? So here's here's the thing. Here, here's what I like. Instead of sexual desperation, I think Moody infuses Brandon with a sense of foregone futility. Like he's not only subconsciously he doesn't he's not only subconsciously knows that he's never going to have a female or maybe even a male companionship he knows it consciously yeah <laughs> his pathetic attempts at braggadocio are more akin to like um richard dreyfus in who's a fr- whose life is it anyway when he's a quadriplegic man making sexually graphic remarks and advances to the nurses because he knows it's never going to be accepted. It can't be physically requited. So therefore, it's never going to happen. So in his mind, he's no threat. So he's just going to make all these graphic um, advances, verbal advances. But um, the quadriplegic uh, Dreyfus and, and uh, the fully functioning Brandon both continue to project this ribald, hypersexual mentality through, though in, in Brandon's case, with way less confidence. So Why? I think perhaps a way to survive, to keep moving forward, to grasp onto some semblance of masculinity, however pathetic, because without it, the futility of life without intimacy would just be too much to go on, too much to bear. And this is evident wonderfully in the way Mooney isn't floored at all when Jesse and Angela propose a threesome. He's not trying to square what they're saying with reality as so, uh, as so much that he's frustrated that they're upsetting the balance. It's less of a, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening, which I think the script was leaning towards, really, when, the, just, when you actually just look at the words he's saying. But it was more of a, a wary, what are you two doing? Why are you not following the rules? <laughs> You know, and that doesn't that doesn't preclude his body from screaming with desire, which is uh, becomes evident. <laughs> but the look he wears when he senses that he's being pushed out of his sad little comfort zone is just is just really effective. I really appreciated what he brought to that scene. Yeah, I, I think he kind of reeks of a certain kind of insecurity, which uh-huh. is funny. I, I talk about Dustin having no pretensions at all, and then Tony being Tony and having plenty of confidence, maybe too right. much confidence in himself. And then Ryan is in his, the, the trust fund kid is obviously insecure about that and trying to prove his like street cred the whole time. Right. Brandon has a different kind of insecurity where he's obviously insecure about his appearance. Um, his, yeah. <laughs> despite what he says about his hair, his hairdo going to be <laughs> everyone rocking this and he'll have moved on to the next thing. <laughs> But yes, he's he's doing it as an apology. He's saying, "I'm being real. Look at this." He's bragging, but in his face, you see, he's like, "I I know it's it's bad." I'm, he knows it looks like shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he knows that he's not attractive, even when he's being propositioned. He realizes in that moment he's not going to be able to perform. Right. Like he's not going to have he's any like, sexual skill. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, 
he's, he's, he's going to be a klutz. But he reminds me of uh, the Harry Shearer line of, of how he became a comedian so he could control the way people laughed at him. Oh, yeah, and it's yeah, like, yeah. you know, Brandon is that kind of comedian, quote unquote. Like he's not. Yeah. He, he's making he's making himself the joke so that he's the one making it. Yeah. You know, that's that's what. Oh, completely. That's how it felt to me. Yeah. Uh, again, you reduced my paragraph to one sentence again. Effectively and also more colloquially. <laughs> <laughs> In more common la- in, in common language, so plain and firm as to confirm their assent. <laughs> Damn you! <sighs> Would this be a good time to mention, which is just something I always think of with with you and me, <laughs> Wade, is the time you were going through a, a a really difficult time in your life, and we were on the phone, and you spent like a solid twenty minutes just like talking about this. The depth of this, like, this tortured feeling that you were going through, <laughs> like all the different dimensions uh, of this, yeah. of this feeling and this experience, and at the end of the twenty minutes, I said, "That feeling is called guilt." <laughs> <laughs> and that's you know, that's what I, that's what I bring to the relationship. <laughs> Well, a certain clarity with a little, with a little condescending rap on the knuckles with a ruler to like, <laughs> boom. I also remember a time when I started talking about a mutual friend and my relationship to him saying, you know, you wouldn't think we would hang out together, but, and that we have a little different things, but we, I don't begrudge him or I mean, I mean, I don't view him differently for those things and he doesn't view me differently for the thing we just seem to be we appreciate each other for who we are and it's really it's just it's really kind of remarkable and you said yeah it's called friendship <laughs> I, I, it's like I'm just, you know i'm like fuck me for at least you know trying to wallow in the experience of it for a second just for yeah. a second yeah, I mean, you and I experience the world very differently. I'm like, I have a feeling, I'm like, if it's in this box, shelve it. Right? It's like, we've encapsulated it, done. Now what else? Yeah. What, what's still on my desk? Whereas I will, like, navel gaze at a statue of a navel for a long time. Like, uh, like I was thinking about this this morning. I realize I probably have a lot more in uh, common with Trump than I wish I did. In the sense that... I think I just do go wherever my... I mean, that's, it's not really... Not really. That makes me sound like a big gland. But I, I do go wherever my feelings go. And that's where I want to go. I'm kind of guided by those emotions. Um, yeah. And I, and I was complaining. I was trying to make a... a I, was, I, was, I was making a, a description about between Bolton and Trump. How they're both monsters. But... I could see how they anger each other because one is like has a strong ideology that he's forcing into process and the other one is a big hormonal throbbing gland that just goes to money, sex, or praise. <laughs> and that just rubs the other one just, you know, so badly. So so they, they it's just oil and water. So uh and then I, I kept saying that, and then I realized, hey, I'm kind of that too. I go wherever 
my feelings take me. And even if that means into breaking the etymology of one word down into 400 words. <laughs> <laughs> Why stop at 400, really? Yeah, yeah. We can do better. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's follow our, our not our glands. <laughs> Uh, let's follow this movie back to our main characters, yeah. Jesse and Angela, right? So they, they've they missed their shift because they went to jail. They spent 48 mm-hmm. hours in jail. They get home. They find out the water shut off. They find out because they go to refill a water jug that was left empty in the fridge so that they can get something to drink by going to like a garden hose yeah. stuck into the wall. Like they don't even have... Right. Like you get... You get lead. Those things are lined with lead, right? Yeah, you're but not when, supposed to drink out of that. No, but you know, is some that a homes, thing? Is that a thing you've seen? What is that? Kinda. Well, I've seen I've seen with people who have like uh, uh, dishwashers that don't have the plumbing hookups, so they have hoses oh, yeah. that fits to the thing. That's so totally what that is. Maybe that's what that was, and they just didn't have the dishwasher anymore, and they left it. <laughs> but yeah, I, that's that, that's totally what that is. That's right. I just think that when you don't need nobody in the house, I mean, I, it's you could argue that Jesse and Angela were the most responsible, but nobody in the house does any sort of cares about what, well, that the house, you know, uh, functions, uh, upkeeping those uh, fixtures or whatnot. So, because it's a rental, why would you? If you owned it, you probably would care. But since it's a rental, who gives a shit? The, the set dressing in that, apartment by the way we talked about in parasite how the clutter just felt so real yeah and like the bare walls the the table made out of stacked vhs cassettes <laughs> I've been and in a those, plate of glass i've seen those houses man i've been i've been in those rooms like that the 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 set design in that apartment was pretty great yeah it really was so they've gotten back home from jail there's water shut off they have to go. I don't know why they're going to the grocery store. Is it to get water? Whatever. On oh the way no, there, they, went, they went to get prunes so she could to to help her stomach. They're because... already walking there when they decide to get the prunes, though. Okay. Because they're already like walking through backyards and pausing at like weird rusty water meters. <laughs> it's uh, Texas. And, having, and this is when they have the flashback montage about. Mm-hmm. How they're how they're going to what excuse they're going to make up to get their jobs back after being gone and for two days? And we get the flashback about all the things that they've done. You said uh, uh, chugging the the milk, lying in I think fire ants, <laughs> so that they could say they had chicken pox. Um, hitting each other in the face with bricks so that they could say they were in a car crash. God. Like you know, you know, not the best, not the best plans here. <laughs> Um, and we kind of see in, in this whole um, montage, if we haven't seen already, that Maya is the bolder of the two, that she's the mm-hmm. she's a little bit more alpha. Yeah. I mean, she is the one who went ahead and spent all their money on the trip to Galveston. <laughs> bolder, maybe not smarter, no, <laughs> but no. bolder. No, 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 no. And so, right. So they Again, they, no judgment. Uh, I, you don't. Dislike them for any of these qualities. They're, I mean, they're kids. They're right? kids. Like you don't. <laughs> they need. They need to grow up a little bit. 
So they decide to get prunes. They go into the grocery store. And we have, for my money, the signature shot of the whole movie is them walking through the grocery store doors and feeling the air conditioning hit them. Yeah. And that pause with the with the dreamy music playing. And that's the poster. Feeling, that's the poster. That's, that's the right. poster. From a different angle, interestingly. And in the poster, yeah. it looks like orgasmic. Yeah. It feels more, it feels more um, a little more exploitative on the poster. In the movie, it doesn't feel that at all to me. No, 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 no. It's just like relief. This is their first moment right. of relief. They don't, they don't have air conditioning back home. Right. They're saying it's like a million degrees outside. Now, and, and for me, like this is the whole movie wrapped up in one shot. Yeah. Is this is this is everything they're doing, the trip to Galveston, the drugs, everything is just looking for this moment, this moment yeah. of relief from all the shit that they that they digged in with in a day in their every day. This is that you're right. The this is the thing you strive for in every day. That moment. Yeah, I I completely agree. Again. And. If you can sum up your whole theme in one shot in, in the movie, in the, in kind of a throwaway shot. It's like a, not a moment of consequence in the movie at all. But right. Like, here it is. Here's my button. Like, that's, that's good filmmaking. Now, let me also, just apart from the story, good filmmaking aspect of it, um, having lived in Texas for a couple of years and, and the director being from Texas, I know that feeling all too well specific to Texas. Yeah, right. you visited me in Texas when I was living there, and I'm sure you had that same feeling when you walked into, especially a grocery store, because they're really pounding that in. When you walk in, it's just like 117 degrees of just, you know, the sun feels like it's pressing on your face, and then you kind of walk in, and then oh, you know, it's being it's, a clo- cold-blooded creature. I enjoy the heat in a way that mm. most people do not. <laughs> well. Uh, it was it was something I uh, completely identified with uh, on just a purely experience, experiential level <laughs> from being in living in Texas. It was it was it was well appreciated. Yeah, and they even go to the freezer, the mm. the freezer case, and just like hold the door open and let it breathe on their neck. Right. <laughs> that yeah. That was that was a great moment. I've done that in Texas. It was because it's like oh, yeah. <laughs> And so here's a key, key scene where they encounter, we'll find out later it's Big D, but like the, the crusty old man with his cardigan wearing, his wife who wears a, a cardigan to the grocery store, uh, even though it's a million degrees outside. <laughs> right. And with her like kind of cult member haircut. <laughs> <laughs> that they, they, are, they, 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 they judge her pretty sp- cr- cruelly too. Uh, after they leave, the girls do. They do. I can't remember they what do. they say though. It's something Just terrible. That how could, how could she be with the man so horrible? Like they, they almost blame her more for, <laughs> for staying with someone so horrible. When, when you think to yourself, well, she's, if you had to live with that horrible, you'd look like her too. I mean, she looks like, yeah, an, an abused woman. She yeah, was, yeah. like shell shocked, um, in that store. Uh, but the, you know, crusty old judgmental guy spots them eating like three cashews out of the the bulk bin. And, like feels the need to s- express his shock and outrage. You little thief! 
like the little the little part of it is kind yeah. of weird part. And so then Maya, the bold one, decides she's going to go confront him. <laughs> and one of the great scenes, I think this is the the showcase the showcase moment for for Maya and what she can do as a performer. Yeah. <laughs> Where she goes on this this uh tirade, she just like tears into this guy. <laughs> Among the things that she says <laughs> Yelling at him, saying, you fucking pedophile-looking jizz mopper, fucking disgusting rent-a-cop wannabe Woody Allen-looking dick face. (laughs) (laughs) Which is all very funny, and she's very funny because she's just, like, relishing saying this to him. Yeah. (laughs) And it it just, like, starts rolling off, and she doesn't even know why she's saying anymore. Like, he doesn't look like Woody Allen. (laughs) He doesn't even particularly look like someone who would like Woody Allen movies. But he, but the point is he's she's calling him bad things. That's the point. Bad, yeah, bad yeah. things. It's a pedophile and old, <laughs> right? That's what. That's really what uh-huh. she's accusing him of. Right. But my favorite thing about that scene. So Maya's great, but Camilla Marone yeah. like, is gazing adoringly at her as she's delivering this rant. Like can't believe it, but also just like loving her for having the the strength and boldness to to take the step and expressing what she can't express and she's not even looking at the guy she's just like 90 degrees to the target of this (laughs) this rant and just like gazing adoringly like wow i can't believe you're doing this this is awesome like you are amazing yeah the adoration (laughs) in her face is so beautiful (laughs) but then you cut to the reverse shot and and the guy who plays that actor is like doing this convulsion, like his his yeah. mouth is like a gape. He's so he can't he just can't believe someone would say these things. And his shoulders are like convulsing back and forth like he's about to vomit. And it's like <laughs> you know, it's like some Mike Judge cartoon <laughs> character. Yeah, just, you're right. Mr. Anderson. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And just like I just watched that shot, uh, that shot just plays in my head on a loop. (laughs) (laughs) It's one of my favorite moments in this movie. (laughs) What the rant or the guy's shoulders, or just the whole thing? Well, all of it, but that guy's shoulders as a reaction to the rant, like you know, cutting from Maya, like with the smile in her face, like this venomous. Yeah. Smile on her face, like she knows she's got this guy right where it hurts, and then cut, yeah. and then you just you cut reverse shot to just how much it hurts. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> By the way, did you know? Did you detect in Maya uh, an accent? No, I read later that she's Australian. She's Australian. But, yeah. She's a singer. She's a singer songwriter from Australia, and it's like wh- what? What? So she's she was like I think twenty five when this was shot, and uh, Camila Morona was um, she's twenty one, but I think she was like twenty when it was shot, which is okay. r- remarkably young for being as <laughs> talented as they are, uh, or, or as assured I should say, as self assured as they are. Um, but yeah, I was I, I was I, I did not trace. Uh, didn't occur to me for one second she wasn't a Texan. It's like um, 
uh, Tim Roth playing George Wallace in Selma. <laughs> exactly. In <you know>? Selma. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like it's very distracting. He's doing a good job with the accent. Like he's, he's not making it seem like he's playing at being a southerner. But I still know it's Tim Roth, Roth. so it's very distracting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, so now we're getting to the drug trip. They hide yeah. behind. This is another one of those where it just feels like a genuine moment that there's this guy they used to work with who always used to scare them. So now they're gonna hide behind his car and scare them yeah and it's not really done as like a gag it's just like this is what people do this right is right just like this is just something people do it's not a gag for us it's a gag for that character <laughs> yeah right and that's where they find out there's a party going on and they decide they're going to go there to um to do their laundry <laughs> because their 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 work clothes smell bad and there's a creepy old guy who steals Camilla's underwear. Kind of getting to right. your, uh, you know, the experiences that young women have to go through is the, the creepy old guy who steals their underwear. So instead they're going to go brave temptation at the <laughs> day drinking party where we see a lot more going on than drinking. Not too much drinking. A lot of other stuff going on at this party. And, uh, and pretty cool dance routine. Mm. Um, uh, is there grinding on each other? It's just fun. Yeah, it's it, just fun to watch people dance at a party sometimes. And it was it didn't feel like a, a Hollywood movies version of this kind of party. You know, it really just felt like this is what a day party in Texas feels like. It really does. Yeah, can't say I've really been to a a, a party like that, but right, it did not feel staged. Mm. Nope. Oh, and we get um. Art Dog. Okay, another. there is another person of color in this movie. Art Dog, who calls his grandparents' washing machines Tweedledee and Tweedledum. Oh, right. <laughs> that's right. And it's wearing a T-shirt that says, does it say Fart Dog? But he's I can't got, remember. He's got black tape over the F. He's got black tape over the first letter in whatever it is instead of Art Dog. And he's made it into Art Dog. War, wart Dog? So so he's taken an existing shirt and adapted it to his own name. Yeah, like yeah, he's already yeah, got the yeah. name Art Dog. That. Like, does he only buy t-shirts that say, <laughs> that have the letters A-R-T-D-O-G on them, and then he just puts black tape over all the other letters? <laughs> That's certainly a quirk. Can I do that? Is there... <laughs> well, I mean, is there, is there a, a... It's hard to find the word blur. Siggy in other words. Yeah, I was going to say... Blursigamy. Oh, hey, that's on every shirt. I'll take out the blur and the me and got it. Yeah, I, I, I don't. I don't think I'm going to be able to start doing this. <laughs> You've got a better shot, Wade. I do have a better shot, but not. It could be it's, uh, like Washington, Delaware. Like the Washington, Delaware cross country oh, right. rail line. Just take. A, yeah, that's a lot of tape on that shirt. That I don't is. Know if you noticed. <laughs> You might, you might want to forego the X's and just like unspool the tape, like yeah, it just be like strips over whole. Were you tied there. to a chair earlier today? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm just showing off my name. <laughs> you know, I could just ask you. Shut up. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. So now they find the secret stash, pot cookies. Mm-hmm. That shit'll fuck you up. <laughs> 
<laughs> Somehow they do not suspect that these are pot cookies, even though D- despite all the stuff that's one hundred percent obvious <laughs> to someone who does not go to drug parties, who has never done pot of any kind, didn't or it even say been offered art, a pot cookie. Didn't it say art, art dogs special cookies? Didn't it say <laughs> yes. that? Yes. Yeah. Come on. Like, and these girls do drugs a lot. <laughs> As they would know better, but mm-hmm. we have to get to this this part yeah. of this the the movie, which is a very enjoyable part of the movie. So I don't I don't begrudge it too much. Right. I actually find this sequence of them tripping balls <laughs> is hilarious. I mean, yeah, it, it is, is genuinely and thoroughly hilarious. And Works I want one hundred percent. And I want to point out there isn't. A noticeable visual flourish to this sequence. It's it's not they don't do it's just shot like any other scene. Except we the see them what's that? Except the pancakes. What happens to the pancakes? I forget. Oh, she has like a love she has like Oh, a, oh, what's the, the music? A love plays. fantasy yeah. with the pancakes with the Michael Bolton. Michael Bolton right, right. But as she as they're walking into the restaurant, basically. Uh, with the exception of that, they don't. It's all from the perspective of if you saw them on the street, right? As as one would see them. Now, I want to I want to contrast this with the the scene we didn't talk about in Books Smart was their drug trip scene that they had when they accidentally ingested quite similarly to um, Angela and Jesse. Did we skip all of that with the we skipped, dolls? We didn't, we didn't talk about that at all. That's crazy. In our last episode. So when they became Barbie dolls, they're like, ah, and they had the stop motion scene of them doing the, honestly, very funny, hard not to laugh, really funny. Um, I kind of felt like it didn't fit the movie. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it made, it, it made certain statements that were great, but. It, it felt it like did, the animated segments of a Savage Steve Holland movie. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, you, you know, you're like, oh, that's in keeping with this kind of type of thing but but it, it it was kind of jarring to me i was like did we we did that because it was fun not because it was what was best for the movie i thought <laughs> and and in fact the only part that was the funniest part of the whole sequence is was when we cut from the barbie doll to them actually exiting the house and everyone was watching them do that little waddle hop yeah you know that was the funniest part right um so I, 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 as much as I, I love Booksmart and as, as much as I am so impressed by that slick filmmaking and those really great choices, I think Never Going Back's drug trip scene is superior and it doesn't have to do much. It's, it doesn't do anything crazy or it's just literally them high. <laughs> it's, it works. <laughs> Like, like right. the, 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 the and, and I've seen those scenes before, and they're hit and miss, usually miss. Usually but, miss. I usually don't enjoy this kind of thing. No, me neither. But the one where, the one where he, she's just, where Crystal goes on and about, you guys are fucked up. How would you even think about coming in here? And then after a long pause, she goes, do you think she knows? <laughs> 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 oh my god, I think she might know. <laughs> Their performances are it's the best wasted performance I've ever seen. It is. It's 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 it is, it's, it's funnier than it should be on paper. It's it's, it's yeah, really great. It's it's really great. 
and you're right. Like we don't. Um, you talked about camera flourishes. We don't really get inside their point of view in this, except for the pancake shots when she's yeah, looking. That's it. That's the only the allowance they have. But the comedy is from that we we can see from the they're from the outside, and then right. we're getting hints from them about how they think the world is seeing them. Right, and like, exactly, exactly. And getting a sense of the distance of that. And you keep getting reminded of the distance. Yeah, we don't go into a animated H&R Puff and Stuff style, like like the way they're seeing the world and yeah. then seeing the contrast between that reality. It's not, right. that's enough. We just see them There's not no fish acting eye lenses normal. Right, or yeah. slow motion. Just yeah, right. a couple of Michael Bolton cuts and that's it. It's just, it's just like they look like they're walking underwater. <laughs> and they think that they share a mind. <laughs> <laughs> because because don't, don't they have a whole conversation while in in their boss's office and then the, yes. they reveal that the boss is, is sitting right there and they have no idea. <laughs> they have no idea he's there. It's it's so simple. You know, it's yeah. just it's just the simple thing of like when you're that messed up, you just aren't aware of major things around you and so it's just a simple device and it works so well um i'm just my favorite moment in the whole sequence is so camilla sees the pancakes like, oh, pancakes and then cut to her point of view michael bolton is playing like slow camera zoom in like it's a commercial and then it gets interrupted because she has to go through the kitchen. But then she sees more pancakes on the griddle. And like yeah. song continues. Yeah. <laughs> but then it cuts to the reverse shot. And we just see her walking out of frame. And as she walks out of frame, she just points. We see her raise her arm to point at the pancakes. <laughs> just those little... that, that, That's the funniest yeah. beat in the whole thing for me. It's just, just a, hey. Now there is. Hey, you. Yeah. Hey, you. There is one strange thing going on in the diner that is apparently yeah, real. I wanted to ask you about yeah, this. It seems like they're trying to say it's prom, right? Okay, that's what I thought too. At first, I was like, like "Is everyone dressed they... up?" Because this is what this is their point of view, and like because they're high for some reason, they're seeing everyone in formal wear. Right, but that but wasn't no, enough. Think... It wasn't a. Commu- I think they were trying to say it was prom night. I think it is. Yeah, I think the same thing. And like this is. So why would they bother the, with that though? This. Because this is like the society they're living outside of now. Yeah, exactly. It's just a reminder exactly. of like this is by dropping out and not <laughs> dropping out in the Timothy Leary sense uh, almost <laughs> in, in the specific instance. Like this is what other kids are doing is like they're living, they're doing their kid thing. And right. like for them, this is their their most grown up moment of their lives Right. is... Getting to dress up fancy and and take a date to home cooking <laughs> and get pancakes before prom. So we got to load up on a lot of starch right before prom, you know. <laughs> Meanwhile, Angela and Jesse are high as a kite, <laughs> desperately trying to hold on to their job, like uh, just like kind of moving along coasting along from from fuck up to fuck up in their lives and mm-hmm. i don't know this is like it it just sort of reminding you of this isn't how this isn't how yeah. uh this might not be how they envisioned their lives yeah you keep for you sometimes you do forget that they're 17 you know, like despite their behavior yeah. you kind of just go on and then you give those little reminders that 
Oh, yeah, they're not even of voting age yet. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Right. They have, yeah. not, they have not entered their majority, as yeah. a medievalist might say. And, and, yeah, outside of all that experience, yeah. So, I mean, for, for a silly little comedy about fuck-ups trying to go to Galveston for the weekend, there's some big, like, themes and, and, and societal... Uh, uh, arrows. Well, not arrows. I don't think they're. No, just, they're not arrows. They're not that's arrows. I'm I, sorry. That's, that's the thing. That's what's great about it. That's what's great about it. They're just there, and then they're, we're like taking them in, and it's and and they're they're not questions there, and they're not people defining to you what their context is. They're just showing you the context. It's it's great. Yeah, it's just part of the milieu. Milieu. <laughs> so what happens after the boss tells them? He was going to give them their jobs back, but he has to fire them because they're going to get him fired. Don't be like me. Do something with your lives. And so what is it they decide to do? (laughs) (laughs) They fall asleep on the bus. They have to get woken up at the terminal. Right. They meet homeless guy who they give a dollar to. They're desperate for money, but they give a dollar to the homeless guy. Because he's hot. Because he's hot and he tells (laughs) them the oceans are going to disappear. (laughs) Right. Well, again, I mean, again, that that's a beautiful teenager type of thing. It's like you need stuff, but I see, oh, you need stuff too. So here you go. It's like not thinking, you know. Well, I mean, thinking of other thinking, but you know, you know, what I mean, it's like it's it's kind of a beautiful little moment of like, well, yeah, sure, you need this. Take it's it. reflexive, yeah. It's reflexive, right? Yeah. And so, in this moment, do they take their former boss's advice and? Decide that they need to do something with their lives? No, they decide no. to go right to do a petty crime. <laughs> yeah. They decide because that they're going to do Brandon a favor by tricking him into giving stealing money from the, the sandwich shop so that they can cover the rent because Brandon needs the rent covered too. Right. So technically, they're helping him. I love that reasoning in this. Scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they come up with a plan. They're going to go to the sandwich shop. They're going to seduce Brandon under false pretenses. They're going to fake seduce him. Just painful. By offering him a three-way. And then we get the stuff you were talking about with with Kyle Mooney. And they're interrupted by Dustin and Tony and Ryan. (laughs) Well, just Dustin and Ryan. Just Dustin and Ryan. I love how Tony kind of comes in. How's this going? What the? (laughs) Yeah. I'm just checking in on you. What the fuck? It's like it's training day. (laughs) Yeah, so so, so Dustin and Dustin. And they pass a note like it's their bank robbers, but it's a (laughs) sub shop. And they pass a note so their voices won't be. Because he knows them, right? It's like like they're trying to rob someone that they live with (laughs) who knows. Probably knows them better, sees them more than anybody else. And, and instead of opening the register, he gives him, he starts taking cash out of his wallet. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, this, this is real. I, this is never, he's like freaking out. He doesn't know what to do. That's such a stupid moment, but. <laughs> but yeah, it is. It's, it's I mean,. You kind of are pulling for you're pulling for obviously Angela and Jesse, but at the same time you realize that Dustin had the same plan they did. 
<laughs> doesn't speak highly of your plan if Dustin is the same plan. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if anything, he was being more honest about it. He was actually... <laughs> He's actually robbing them. <laughs> actually robbing him. Instead of tricking Brandon into robbing himself. <laughs> right. right. To being complicit in their, in their uh, scheme. So they leave when the Big D shows up. Right. And then we find out it's the terrible old convulsing man from the grocery store. <laughs> the living might judge cartoon. <laughs> has come because he likes to stick his dick inside of his sandwiches. Or, or, or the woman he's having an online affair with likes to see him stick his dick in the sandwiches. Right? Yes, right. Someone's texting him pictures of boobs. Yeah, and, and they say those aren't his wife's. Like, they, they take note of the fact that they saw his wife in the store, and these are not these are not his wife's boobs. How is he having... It does raise a mystery. Like, how did he manage to initiate and then maintain <sighs> an affair with such a, you know, you might say beauty? Um, who knows? Who knows what's going on? We don't know who the knows? full story there. It could be, you know, a subscription service. Maybe he subscribes to... Is there, like, something you can do? You can sign up and, like, for... 99 cents a day, they'll just text you nudes at appointed times when you can make sure you're alone in your sandwich shop to receive them. <laughs> Seems like a very specific business. Is there? Hey, it's the internet age. You can find... Yeah, it's like you can find anything you want, I guess. Yeah, something for everyone. There's a, there's a startup that does that, right? TextMeNudes.com. Sure. I forget, does he even close the blinds? I don't remember. No, that's the thing. There's it's, a lot of glass in the front. That's another suspension of disbelief moment. There's a lot of glass in the front of this shop. Like he They're standing fair. in plain view. We hear his car pull up. He would see them inside. Yeah. There's a, there, he, he doesn't... There's a lot of... Um, uh, it doesn't seem very secure, the manner in which he does it. No. And, and for me, and, and, and I was wondering why he was so agitated at first. And I, I, I guessed it was probably be, later. I was like, oh, well, he must have some at, at nine o'clock. I got to be here to stick my dick in the thing. You know, um, we're going to, you know, I don't know. But he's got uh, that animal urge. He, uh, he's already he's already decided earlier in the day that he was going to do this. Yeah. We're spending way too much time talking about this guy and his. His. Is hoagie smashing. <laughs> Which, you know, that's only a six-inch bun. <laughs> and it's ample coverage. Just pointing that out. So, if, if, if I were writing my first feature, I would probably not have the climax of my movie be a girl shitting in a bucket so explosively that... The smell being so terrible, it sets a a vomit that knocks a man unconscious. <laughs> and yet, this was hilarious. <laughs> I bought it. <laughs> <laughs> I would discourage anyone from putting that in their first feature, but God love her, she made that work. <laughs> I didn't completely buy it, but I also didn't begrudge it. Right, I didn't. You know, it's yeah. not my favorite. Really, everything after uh, they wake up on the bus for me is like another, like a notch down from the rest of the movie. I, 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 I get that. 
But I, mean, I was fine I, with I, it. I, I still feel, enjoyed it. I still enjoyed it. I, it mo- all my favorite moments occurred before that. It felt like I was. It felt like I was in a movie. You know, it kind of lost its patina of authenticity to me. Yeah. That I was. Well, now we're was, getting into like some heist gone awry. When it's before, it was yeah. just fuck ups, kind of talking shit. Right. Yeah. It's just. It, it's right. It starts to feel plotty. Uh, yeah, yeah, at this yeah, yeah. point, and it's just pretty pretty convenient that by throwing up on the guy, it renders him so <laughs> unconscious that they can just hang around and have a conversation <laughs> over his unconscious body, right? And uh, come to the slow realization of like how much money they've had, and that they can take his phone and text him a message and put it in the in the safe and yada yada yada. Like it just seemed yeah. like is he bleeding out on the floor? Yeah. Is he like? <laughs> Is he like the Buffalo protester guy who got shoved by the police? Like, shouldn't they be checking his pulse? Like, we don't know. They said he's alive, but they're 17. You know? Like, yeah, like his skull could be cracked. They didn't know those cookies that said special were pot. (laughs) So. It just seemed, you know, it's a bit tidy. It's a bit tidy at that moment. I was a little concerned for Big D on the floor. I kind of thought, yeah, he might very well be dead. <laughs> yeah, like cardiac arrest or something. You don't normally... Getting vomit on the chest does not normally like. Well, I think he fell back like and, an anesthetic. He jumped back and hit his head, right? So that means he cracked it. His skull had an impact, which There's... at his age... Granted, his size would help, but... Even if he is creepily judgmental in a grocery store, it's still... Didn't deserve to die. And yeah, yeah. is rude to Brandon and yeah. likes to masturbate in his own <laughs> his own property. property. Like he's he's entitled and, and, to masturbate in his shop. And how it violate some health codes, but <laughs> if not uh, a physical uh, affair, then an emotional affair uh, on his spouse. So yeah. I mean all around, you know, doesn't have a lot of good ticks in the old pearly gate column, but Still. Doesn't mean he deserves to have his skull cracked. Cracked. No, no, no. So, so, but, you know. Especially just because someone's shit was too stinky. (laughs) (laughs) Something to have, like, an attractive, two attractive young characters, and one of them spends most of the movie having to take a shit. Right. So, yeah, you got two attractive. That's one of the main conflicts is that she's constipated. To get two 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 attractive women, it's the climax of one shitting in a bucket, and the other one vomiting because of it. It's <laughs> it's pretty yeah. And not only shitting in the bucket, but doesn't have toilet paper. No, nope. there could be toilet paper supplies in that in that closet. I guess they're in a supply closet, in a broom closet. Okay, we don't see it. She probably has access to toilet paper. We don't see her wash her hands. Duh. When she gets home, we know their water's turned off. (laughs) So when they're like, another kind of cliche moment that I didn't love is them playing with the money that they can't believe that they have. It's like, uh, come on, we can get rid of that. But then they're like lying in bed together. I'm like, she's still got a shitty ass. I, I think they may have cleared. Now, granted, she still hasn't such, taken a shower since they've been in jail, and now she's got after, a shitty ass on top of it. After such a thing, it's going to take more time than they showed us 
through the magic of editing to to take care of that business to tamp that down but for movie sake i'm willing to let that go i think she had plenty of supplies to uh because otherwise i don't i don't think i could have kept watching the rest of the movie thinking about all the things she's touching and sitting on is i mean there's not baby wipes in that supply closet even if there's no. you know one ply sandpaper toilet paper <laughs> Because this guy isn't splurging on the good oh, stuff no, no. for his customers, right? <laughs> no. So even if she's got the sandpaper toilet paper in that closet, like, you're still going to... Yeah. If it's that bad, if it was explosive and you went in a bucket, so there's splashback, you know? <laughs> she's still wearing the same shorts uh, when she gets home. She needs a shower. She can't take one. We know that. That's established. But then they get to the beach, and that then all things taken care of. Okay. <laughs> Let's talk about that. Yes. So they're playing with the money. They're lying in bed. They engage in the only on-screen kiss of this entire movie. Oh, yeah, one, they do, don't they? I forgot about one, that. One kisses the other's finger. Oh, right, right. We see them about to, in the flashback, in the cocaine flashback, we see them about to make out. Right. We never see them kiss. We see them hold hands, maybe once or twice. Right. We see one kiss the other's finger as they talk about how now they have so much money, they've never seen so much money. They can go anywhere. They can go to Florida. They can go to California. They can get away. And they never have to come back because they have so much money that they're, they're set for life. They're rich now. They can go buy a mansion. And then they go to sleep with all that money on their bed. Oh, it was it was terrifying that scene to me. Well, and we see them on the beach, and I'm yeah. like, they're not getting to that beach. They're waking up, and all that money's gone. Right, that, because their roommates are going to find it. Right. That, so so yeah, I was going to ask you. I was going to say, do you think that that last shot is them actually having actually physically made it to the beach? Hell no. I mean, I, I, no. I, I mean, the the movie has to imply it because they don't do anything else. They don't suggest anything else. So the movie's like saying, oh, yeah, they made it to the beach. But the way that it's structured with them going to sleep and going, I'm like going, they're just dreaming about that's, it. That's a dream sequence. That's like, it's it's a fantasy in the way, like the end of True Romance with them at the beach. Oh, yeah. And the far in the future. And you know that Christian Slater's dead. He got shot in the eye, right? Well, that was the original ending. They, sh- they, they re-shot that ending to say that he lived, but he, he died. No, that's Patricia Arquette's face. fantasy. That's, uh, mm. you know, that's Alabama. That's Alabama's fantasy, fantasy at the end. Yeah, he's dead, you know? Mm-hmm. It reminded me of that, again. Right. Call back to early 90s. It, it's, <laughs> it, you know, this is, this is them... They've been saying that it's funny. They've been saying they're gonna buy bikinis, and then we see Maya in a one, in a one piece, uh, with two flamingos, uh, in mm. forming a heart. But yeah, that's that's totally a fantasy. They're waking up, and that money's gone. And that bothered me. That really bothered me because I, I the end the ending is the ending. I will say is a bit unsatisfying because it's it seems to be structured to make you think that that's not real, but it gives you no. It gives you no ambiguity that it isn't. You know? It just kind oh, of... Oh, I don't know. I totally... I never... I never thought it was real. 
Well, when it, you're watching it, doesn't it, underline it, right? But it doesn't know. underline it. It doesn't. So people, I mean, the thing is, you can walk away from it going, "Oh, they made it to California." I guess that was it in the movie. But yeah, I'm sitting there terrified as they're falling asleep, going, "Put that fucking. Why are you even still there? <laughs> go now." Like you can yeah. go to a hotel and take a shower or something, anything, get out. And, and then they go into California. You're like, what is this real? Or is this, did they yeah. make it or are they dreaming? And then it ends and you, it was a little, a little, a little frustrating. They're going to wake up and that money's gone. And Dustin and Tony are going to be like, we needed that money. Sorry. We had, we bought a pound, <laughs> you know, something. Right. They, they, they had some idea <laughs> by well, me, stealing jeans from Neiman Marcus. Would it- <laughs> Well, would would the movie have been better if it if it did underline it and and basically said that Dustin and Tony take it took it? No, I thought it was perfect. I didn't like the playing with money, but after that, the the dialogue and and the way mm-hmm. it was shot and everything, the the music choice, all of it. I don't know. For me, it it told the story like that. I didn't. Um, I mean, it leaves you leaves it open to interpretation, but I, which is which is good. Yeah. Which is yeah, which is fine. But I I could only read it. Maybe if I was 17, I would move this, see that differently and like, oh, they made it to the beach. It's a happy ending. As a 45-year-old adult, I'm like, <laughs> uh, no, that, they're not making it to that beach. This is, yeah. they're, that, we, know, we know what's going to happen. Right. I don't know. I, I, loved, uh, I loved the way the ending was done, personally. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, how would I, you have done it differently? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I mean, do what would I want this to look more like the ending of Brazil? Hmm. I, I I don't I don't think I would. Yeah. But at the same time, it feels like this was the studio cut ending of Brazil. You know, the one that didn't show that he was still in the chair. Spoiler alert. Uh, <laughs> the, the one that showed that he was he had been lobotomized. Yeah. I, I don't want that for this story. For a movie that hadn't played with our... It laid everything out for us without arrowing it and didn't really do any ambiguity. Like, it could be this, it could be that. Well, I, I guess I guess by my own admission, if I'm viewing the sexuality part of it that way, um, which is becoming clear to me that it wasn't ambiguous, ambiguous... <laughs> I, I I don't know I don't know how, how what would be a better ending because it's kind of like the get out ending, like um, like is it uh, is it better if he it's more realistic if she wakes up and money's gone and their stupid brother took it and oh what are we gonna do we need it <laughs> gonna go buy two pounds yeah starting a business <laughs> right that would certainly be more realistic I don't know how satisfying that would be you know what I mean. I've been thinking a lot about lately your your Green Book ending, the suggesting that you would like to have for Green Book. Oh, throwing away, seeing when the glass thrown away in the garbage. When like yeah. after all of that, she goes in there and the glasses are thrown in the garbage, which I think is amazing. Um, like you. Well, that sort of thing here. I don't know. I wish I had an answer for that. I don't. I don't know. Well, since you brought up Green Book, can I take us on a, another track briefly? Yeah, sure. We can keep it brief, but. Um, with all the protest movements still ongoing after mm-hmm. the murder of George Floyd, uh, we talked about that. Um, there's been more of a of a call for 
white allies to do more active anti-racist work, right? To stop being a bystander, end white silence, um, all those things. And so I've been doing some reading lately, and I've been trying to think more actively about um, white identity and uh, and the way it manifests and um, and thinking about how uh, part of um, part of what reinforces and perpetuates structures of white supremacy is the luxury that whiteness affords us to pretend race doesn't exist when it's convenient for us, right? Exactly. Or to to because because that means whiteness is normal, right? And non-whiteness is not normal, but something that needs to be accommodated in its, its own special way. Yeah. Or and exotic so, in some way. Yeah, and so watching this movie the second time uh, just a couple nights ago, I was trying to watch it as a white movie. <laughs> Um, which, which yeah. it very much is, and and thinking about um, like what is it, what how is like the white identity of these, of these characters, the white ones, um, like what is it functioning in the story, and it's 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 strange. Like you watch the movie, I watch the movie the first time, and I see it as these people who don't have anything, right? They're they're on the verge. They're living month to month they're on the verge of losing their home mm-hmm. but the second time i was watching it as these people who don't have a plan but also don't feel like they need one yeah and never feel in danger at any moment you know they can flip off their next door neighbor they can raise a huge ruckus in this grocery store they can fall asleep on the bus which seems like two young women falling asleep on the bus would be dangerous. But they're, they, in all these situations where they're just never afraid for their own personal safety. Right. Which is exactly. part of the attractive vibe of this movie is that it, they just, um, it's, it kind of calls to like the carefree nature of youth. And uh, don't you remember when you just didn't have any problems you actually worried about? And you're just worried about like what, how are you going to have fun that night? You know, we all, we all wish for those, those, those days and that feeling, but in a way that they're also kind of enjoying the sort of decadence of whiteness in that they, they kind of seem to assume that they're going to be okay no matter what happens and that, uh, and that they can just coast. So the whole movie is just about them coasting through life but the fact that they can coast the way they do is very much part of a white identity living in a white society. True. You know, and, Tony and, and, brings it up that the scheme to steal jeans from Neiman Marcus isn't going to work because he's black. He can't walk into a Neiman Marcus. Right. Even if he's wearing an Armani suit, they're going to they're already going to think he's stealing. So I mean yeah. there there's some consciousness of that in the movie, but um but very much uh the the way these girls are living their lives is, is being very unconscious of, of that. Right. So very I, much I, so. I sprung this on you. I had no, no, time no, no, to no, no, formulate no, very, my thoughts. I didn't, uh, no, 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 very much. No, it, it, it's true. It's like, I mean, does it invalidate the story that it does, that it's about that, about these white girls experience? No, but it, it, um, and it's, it's still worthy to tell. 
But uh, you're right. It is indicative of if if this is the experience that they're having, it's it's in stark contrast to the ones that people of the same age and poverty and um, economic level as them would be enduring. Yeah, it's a completely different experience. And I didn't even mention the having the police in their home. Like that's not. They're, oh, they're yeah. worried that they're going to get caught with the drugs, but they get right out. Like they're not, you know, they're not. They don't worry. They're not worried that their lives are going to be derailed by the fact that they just got a drug arrest. It's right. Not even mentioned exactly. again. You know, so, like ugh, it's right. It's, it's there's no consequences to it. Right. So they have and the luxury of life without consequence. The luxury of the life without consequence, exactly. And and I, I think uh, you know uh, I think what a lot of white people who aren't actively like promoting the white race, you know, people who are at, who are actively involved in white supremacy being a better race than all the others or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, to them, I, you know, it, it make, I, I, I truly believe that they're, that, well, myself included, don't think about being white. It's like whiteness is not a part of it. And so, and so when people start talking about white privilege or whiteness as power or whiteness as prop, as a, uh, a, um, a commodity or a, white, a thing that they can do, it's jarring because you're like, I don't even think about being white, but it truly is. I mean, um, I, if I think of myself as anything, I think of myself as Irish and Native American. I don't think of myself as, you know, white because you know, whites, white doesn't have a culture. Well, you know, no, there's definitely ones who do. I mean, the people who but, shout yes. white power are... Well, that's what I'm saying. The people who are, are actively promoting whiteness as a... Yeah. The white nationalists or white supremacists, they're saying, we're not replaced, white is might, and all that crap. But I would think the average uh, white person who's not... doesn't feel that way would not... Um, it, if they're off-put by any sort of messaging about that, it's because they don't think of themselves... As white, they think of themselves as Italian or Irish or or Scandinavian or whatever, and they're like, "What, what does whiteness mean to me?" But it really means everything. Or they would just think of, normal American. Oh, they would know? yeah, they would think plain potato yeah. chip, average Joe. It's like yeah. a potato chip is is me, and then the spice, the sour cream and onion, or the cheddar and sour cream, or the all dressed, or the the salt and vinegar. That's our nationalities, but. It's that's betraying a you're saying that white is the base and anything that's not that is not even really a chip. So like um They could be in there. I'm all for party mix. It's like a chip. You, know? <laughs> you know what? Actually, you know, I'm so glad you brought that up. <laughs> and this could get me in real trouble, but I think I'm gonna say it anyway. Oh boy. Um, um Checks party mix. I learned you can learn a lot about about uh, uh, how how necessary the melting pot is, or the well, not melting pot because we all know it's not a melting pot anymore. What do they call it? A bully bit? It's like it's not a melting pot. It's a um, I don't remember. Anyway, Something. gumbo. As I was growing up and making checks party mix, uh, or my mom would make checks party mix, and I hated the wheat checks. They were bitter. Um. They took a lot of the Worcestershire sauce and seasoned salt, but they didn't taste like they did. And so I would start asking, don't, don't, um, don't make, don't put wheat checks in there. Just put like, like corn and rice and, and Cheerios. 
and we started making it without it and it wasn't the same. It didn't taste right. And then I said, let's just put all Cheerios in because the Cheerios soaked up that Worcestershire sauce really well. So I just made it with, I just made it, when I started making it myself, I started making it with just all the one thing. And Oops, they all, all just, Cheerios. Yeah, and they all just turned black in the oven and it was awful. And the, the, the Czech's party Where mix. Where is this going, Wade? <laughs> the Czech's party mix doesn't taste right unless all of it is in there. Okay. You know what I mean? That's what I'm saying. I'm glad we didn't stop on the black ones being awful. No, 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 no. No, I'm just saying if you put the Cheerios in, they all just soaked up and they they burnt and they taste, they they just, it didn't even taste like, you know what I mean? Like you taste the Cheerios, you're like, oh, it's great. It soaks up the thing. It's fantastic. But if you don't make it that with everything else in it, it doesn't turn out the same. It turns out like just bad. That's called a recipe. Sarah, I did it. I did it. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm making a point about racial harmony through a cereal snappetizer. Um, no, I'm just saying. I'm just, anyway. Anyway, the whole point is actually, the real reason I'm bringing it up is that my friend Scott has been putting out a yearly Christmas CD with a name that I gave it called 100% Wheat Checks Free. Now I feel guilt. <laughs> <laughs> now Use I realize that. that's sending the wrong message. <laughs> you need it all, folks. You need it all. You've let me so, a few of those. Those are very good. I didn't know yeah. they came from Scott, who they I came see from on, Scott. Your, on your Facebook. So he I does know. it every year. He says, I'm not doing it this year. Sorry, guys. I'm just not doing it. And every year he does. And they're great. It's a compulsion. Yep. Well, you just you unearth more Christmas tunes made by English punk bands. You got to put it out there. <laughs> <laughs> to bring us back, I uh, mm-hmm. I just f- forgot to mention um, uh, their jobs, their relationship with their manager at work. How they have the the black manager who is giving them every excuse to have their jobs back. As opposed to, we, one can imagine the two black girls who only need to give the slightest excuse to get fired, you know? Yeah. It's like these girls can't get themselves fired, practically. <laughs> practically. They've thrown up on their shoes. They've shown up with black eyes. They've shown up with beer-soaked <laughs> uniforms. Yeah. And they still, it's still there. Yeah. That imperviousness to, when when it's... When it's adversity rather than uh, a ubiquitous threat to you, that's the, that's the difference. So if I can tie us back to last episode, Booksmart, at Excedra, I started outlining my, um, my concept of the subgenre called the BFF quest, the best friend forever quest. And I don't remember if I, how well I spelled it out in that one. So I, I wrote an outline for tonight mm. so I can give it to you now. Okay, so recap. The BFF quest is a subgenre of the coming-of-age story, which is a comedy with elements of adventure, which has a few key characteristics. There's the platonic best friends with an unshakable bond who do everything mm-hmm. together, and each is almost an extension of the self. So each one sees the other as an extension of the self. Like they, they have the same goals. They plan their lives together. They do everything together. Mm-hmm. And in the course of the BFF quest, they go on a quest 
to achieve some next step in growing up, some some mm-hmm. next step in their maturity, right? This is often a romantic interest, uh, which is really often just a proxy for sexual maturity um, or taking on a new form of rebellion and therefore a new form of danger, stepping out of the comfort zone of childhood towards adulthood, right? Mm-hmm. And in order to reach that goal, they often need to gain possession of some forbidden object, right? It could be alcohol, such as in Superbad. It could be their dad's drone, uh, like in Good Boys. Um, and Booksmart is the address of a party. It's not good. It doesn't fit quite as well as with the other ones. But, but. Access. It's access to, to that kingdom. That's what yeah, that is. But it's literally an address. Yeah. Okay. You're right. Sorry. <laughs> I withdraw my entire argument. <laughs> But yes, it's to. But the whole, in all three cases, it's to get access. It's 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 a means to the end of getting access to the kingdom. Right. No. Very much so. In the course of this, they're seemingly hindered by some kooky character, spelled with two K's in my outline. Actually, three K's. Character is two K's in it. <laughs> a kooky character who doesn't observe the boundaries of the society that the characters occupy, but who unwittingly unlocks their own inhibitions and allows them to progress towards their goal. So Gigi and Jared, especially Gigi, but both Mm -hmm. Gigi and Jared in Booksmart, we talked about at length, McLovin in Superbad. Right. In Good Boys, it's interestingly, it's Hannah and Lily, the neighbors who are just want to take ecstasy (laughs) (laughs) and get the boys to overcome their fears when they go into the frat house where... Uh, they really take their next step in, in overcoming their fears, <laughs> and and uh, um, assaulting the the debauchery within. Another trope of the subgenre is entering a chemically altered state, usually uh-huh. unintentional, right. unless it is the objective of the quest. So in Booksmart is unintentional. In both Good Boys and Superbad, it is part of the objective. Getting the right. alcohol, consuming the alcohol, it's a means to an end. Um, also, Hannah and Lily. Oh, I forgot to. I skipped the bullet point where Hannah and Lily uh, encourage Thor to continue singing. And so they help him towards his goal uh, rather directly mm. in that one. Okay. The best friends, the platonic best friends, the BFFs, will realize that their goals are in conflict at some point and the bond will be severed resulting in the climactic falling out scene. Mm-hmm. This is like this is like the, the showdown on Main Street. Western has the, you must have the hero and the villain right. facing off on Main Street. The falling out scene is, is the pivotal moment of every BFF quest. Now alone, each of the BFFs, the former BFFs, are they former BFFs? Each of them reaches their goal only to learn that it wasn't what they had anticipated. And the conflict mm-hmm. resolves when they acknowledge their growth and what the other means to them, no longer taking each other for granted, no longer seeing each other as an extension of their self, but recognizing each other as individuals. And that there's a bond that crosses that bridge between them. So I submit that as the definition of the BFF quest. Mm, now, very nice. Thank you. Uh, 
I have now. no notes. <laughs> now, how does Never Going Back both use and subvert this structure? Oh. Hmm? So the leads start out. Did I tease this by accident? <laughs> you did. You not by accident either. By design. Footnote. Now we're feeding the steak to the dog. Okay. <laughs> the leads start out in a sexual relationship. They're not only they not only bypassed what is the main quest of a BFF thing. They've already reached that sexual maturity. They're in, already in an active sexual mm -hmm. relationship. What's more, with each other. They're best friends that are right. also lovers. That part's done. That chapter's closed. And they are either it's their youth or their experience that has made expression of that passion not their primary function whenever they're together, right? Again, they've passed we, that. They've moved past that. We don't even that. see them kiss. No, like, the fact, never. The fact that their relationship isn't really... An impact on the plot, like you say. No, there's no threat is, of them breaking up. It is up. inessential to the plot. There's no love triangle even hinted at. And <laughs> Homeless that, yeah. bus station guy notwithstanding. <laughs> but its inessentialness isn't a demerit. It's actually just it's it's not a demerit to the plot. No, to this it's movie. just part of no. their lives. Right, it's part of their lives. This is part of the background noise. Uh, part of the milieu. No, okay, and sorry. it's so nice I'll not stop to saying that word. It's it's so nice sometimes to see a movie where somebody's um, lo loving relationship isn't at stake all the time. Yeah, it's kind of nice, right? <laughs> it's the strongest. <laughs> Dustin and Tony have that kind of. Okay, <laughs> Dustin and Tony go through a thing. Right, they go. They they have the kind of more falling <laughs> yeah. out at the beginning of the movie, and then reconciliation. I thought about trying to map them onto this, but then I didn't. I didn't want to do that. Let's focus on. Yeah. Let's focus on Angela and, and uh, yeah. Jesse. Okay, the bond is unshakable. It's totally unshakable totally between unshakable. these two in this movie. They do kind of act like each is an extension of the self for the mm -hmm. other. You know, one is never off screen from the other. I think maybe in the sandwich shop, one shot we get Carmen. Returning from the bathroom and unable to have gone. And I think that's it. I think like that's the only briefest moment that they're off screen from each other. Huh. They're, even when they're in jail, they're holding hands and they're even right. when they're physically separated, they're still Yeah, they don't split off and connected. have those other quests. They just they yeah, they're all but always in the same never occupying the space alone. Wow, you're right. I don't think they do. I mean, maybe they do, but I don't remember it. It doesn't. I think maybe doesn't she sits down me. at the computer briefly, but that's it. It yeah, doesn't like the "I'm going off to do my thing, you go off and do your thing," even for part of a scene. I mean, they're just always side by side. Okay. Now they do have a quest, and that quest is to get to Galveston, but it's really about, like we said, escape, relief mm -hmm. from the drudgery, looking. For Looking for something more, but not really something more, just something. Just something, actually, yeah. Exactly. Actually, something less. <laughs> right? They just want to right. sit on the beach and eat donuts. Like, that's what, that's what their want. quest is really about. Right? They've got this quest, which they've already kind of achieved. They've already booked the vacation. At the beginning! <laughs> At the beginning. It's not a question of whether they'll be able to go to Galveston. 
Right. It's just a question of whether they're going to have a home to come back to when they're done in Galveston. Right. And that's what all the action of the of the movie is, right? That's not even mm-hmm. a question of getting to Galveston. We don't know even know if yeah, they have how a they car. Get there? We see them take the bus to work. They walk quite a ways to to get to the bus stop. But it's not even like how are we going to get there without the money? It's like that's that's a foregone conclusion. It's already it's already booked. It's happening, right? Yeah. And then to achieve that goal, they need to get the money, which means they need to keep their jobs at the diner, which means they have to stay sober, blah, blah, blah. And that's what drives the plot, right? When they finally find the opportunity to get the money out of the safe, thanks to the antics of Dustin, Tony, Ryan, and Brandon, who have seemed like obstacles the whole time, they're the kooky characters. <laughs> But it turns out they're the ones who put them in the position through their antics to realize they have the keys to the safe and that they can get all the money, right? Yeah, everything down to the constipation is their fault, is their doing. Yeah, yeah, that's right. There's the altered mind state, which is in the key scene inadvertent, but also constant and deliberate. (laughs) And... And casual. They're, they, yeah. they're worried about the money for rent. They're not worried about the money for drugs. It seems like the that's fine. That, that situation's fine, too. Of course they're going to smoke ganja on the beach, right. even though they don't have any money. <laughs> <laughs> they can get cocaine. It must be pretty shitty cocaine. We have no idea where they're getting it. <laughs> You know, they must get it all from Dustin. I don't know. It seems to be in ready supply. They never, ever grow up. So Mm -mm. it's a movie structured on a coming-of-age story where they're actively trying not to grow up. They're actively trying to escape any kind of responsibility. And the film ends in a fantasy sequence and an idle fantasy sequence at that. They've... Even in their fantasies, they haven't achieved anything. Other than their vision. Which is to do nothing. Yeah, but it's still their vision. Their vision was to go to a beach and eat donuts, and that's what they achieved. That's an accomplishment. Now, it can be considered a minor accomplishment, but one nonetheless. But it's certainly not a step towards no. something more beyond that. No, right? other, other than just practice and being able to actualize what you've envisioned. That's, but actualize that's suggests that you've, you've become something more, right? Not necessarily. A printer actualizes stuff. Like a 3D printer would actualize some, the, the plans. I, I, I'm, not saying you're, I'm not saying that they have achieved something that's relevant. <laughs> I'm just saying <laughs> that envisioning something and then making it real is, is by definition of achievement. Okay. Just not one in steps to maturity other than just thinking, well, now that I've done this, I can maybe see something else as possible. So gr- not really growth, but maybe, you know, maybe. Are you um, arguing for like pre, a Zen, pre like a, achieving a Zen state, achieving nirvana? No, just Early I'm 90s. saying like. <laughs> no, just saying that, that, um. If, instead of being handed stuff, you know, you've made a plan and executed it and you got it. 
And then, you know, um, that can lead bear to other fruit of, well, what else could I achieve if I made a plan and executed and did it? You know. Well, my summary statement, my summary statement, Never Going Back is a slacker movie that gains its structure and therefore its forward momentum from the BFF quest subgenre, which yeah. I it didn't invent. <laughs> and maybe there's someone else's identified it somewhere else, but I'll claim credit. <laughs> we'll say it right here and now. Uh, if you want to give it your own name, like the Bechdel test, we'll just give it the BFF llama. <laughs> the llama BFF. Hmm? Hmm. I don't know. Maybe we'll just say you didn't it's come up with be it. It's going to hard to find that on a t-shirt. <laughs> hey, I got plenty of tape. <laughs> well, anything else to say about never going back? I liked it. I liked it a lot. I, I, I was really charmed by this movie. Oh, you too. I, I feel a little old to be watching it. I wish, <laughs> I wish it had been around when I was younger. Yeah. <laughs> I Although, th- I don't know. I don't think I would have been able to see it with as much nuance as if I had been younger. Well, that's true. I think I would have just seen it as like, ah, you man. I agree. But, I would have enjoyed it, though, a lot. Yeah, I would have uh, enjoyed it, too. As a young person. I would have related to it a lot, a lot more, for sure. And I'm looking forward, as I watch this, I'm like, I can see Frizzell's such a great filmmaker, and it's like such a, yeah. it feels like a very personal movie, and but it's very smart and witty and funny. And I'm like, what? I can't wait to see your next movie. And then I look, and <laughs> I don't know if it's the very next movie. I think they're shooting now called um, The Last Letter from Your Lover. But she is attached to a Ryan Reynolds movie called Stoned Alone which oh, is no. <laughs> an, an adult nearing middle age <laughs> Ryan Reynolds like I don't know how old is Ryan Reynolds at this point he's going to play young people forever in a, a unofficial sequel to Home Alone like it's in the Home Alone <laughs> franchise except it's Ryan Reynolds being stoned at home <laughs> and missing Christmas because he got too high to make his plane and Augustine Frizzell is directing, and I'm like, wow, Ryan Reynolds, I'm not into stoned movies, not really my thing. Home Alone, really not my thing. About the only way I could, I will watch this movie is because someone like Augustine Frizzell is directing it. So right. I will check out Stoned Alone because I'm excited to see what, what yeah. this filmmaker does next. But boy, I wish... <laughs> I wish it was more of an original project, but you know, good for her. She gets the big paycheck. She's gets the budget. Let's see what she can do. Maybe, maybe this is going to be a uh, Lego movie type situation. Could be. Could be. You're going to later see like, how could this not have been brilliant? Don't know. Well, I will, I will definitely be checking it out. Me too. I, I, I'm really glad you like this movie because I, I, um, I'm just really, I'm really glad I got to share it with you. Yeah, thanks for, thanks for the wreck. Good call. If you want to feel like I do, faithful listeners, recommend this movie to yourself and others. You will not be disappointed. But if you want to recommend any other movies to us, you can do so on our Facebook page. You watched it wrong. Search for that on Facebook. There's like a page. 
Just a page? You can like leave comments there and stuff. Assuming you have a Facebook account. We're also on Twitter. I'm sorry. Wait a second. What the fuck is Facebook? Sorry. <laughs> sorry. I just wanted to quote Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. No, go, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Go ahead. <laughs> Forgot about that. <laughs> um, we're also on Twitter. You watch it wrong with the letter U. We'd also appreciate getting your emails at youwatchedwrong at happypanic.net. And if you just have your explosive diarrhea right in your shorts instead of letting your girlfriend pull them down so you can go into a bucket, you splotched it wrong. (laughs) 